episode uh, 86. Oh, 1986 was a good year, Hotshot Great Scott. year. Love 1986. You don't know anything about 1986. <laughs> sure I do. What happened in 1986? 12 years old. <laughs> uh, got my mongoose bicycle. No, this is not all about you. And it's not all about me. 1986, one of the greatest sports accomplishments in the history of sports, if you consider, which you don't, golf a sport <laughs> instead of a game. Can 1986. It would be the one thing that a non-golf guy would know about golf. Oh, jeez. Literally, literally, if you took 10 non-golf guys okay. and you said to them, how many things do you know about golf? And they all said one. This would be the one thing that they would know in 1986. Well, that's not true because of Tiger Woods. Tiger they Woods, all would know yeah. Tiger Woods. I take that back. Should we start the whole tease over can, again? Can we, we, can we can dump the last two minutes? No, we can't. Go. We can't. We're just going to let it go. Arnold Palmer no, involved? Stop. No? Stop. Are you joking or are you serious? I guess I'm joking. <laughs> Jack Nicholas. No, he won the at Masters. At the age of yes. 46. I used to get Sports Illustrated. And in I remember 1986. Yep. I remember. It's still probably, even including all the Tiger Tramps, even when he was young and he hugged his dad, it's still probably the greatest, ma- the ma- you know, there's, there's always that kind of moment in sports, like in college basketball. What turned college basketball? What, what transcended college basketball and made the tournament oh, what it is today? One North, thing. North Carolina State, maybe? No, I wouldn't say North Carolina State. I would say Larry Bird versus Magic oh, Johnson in sure. 1979. You're right. Indiana yeah. State against Michigan State. Yeah. That final championship game, the tournament has never been the same, same since. It's been this huge thing ever since. I think that's still the highest rated college basketball Could game of be. all time. There seems to be one of those in most games and sports. Okay. For golf... For golf in 1986, Jack Nicklaus at age 46 left for dead, hadn't won in years, was just kind of a ceremonial golfer at the time. He came to Augusta National where he had won five. He was the greatest champion of all time. And he's reading in the – this is a true story. Okay. He's reading in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The guy – from Atlanta that's giving everybody's chances that are in the field. And it says, like, Jack Nicholas washed up, something like that. Oh, and he geez. clips it out, and he puts it on his refrigerator in the house that he was renting that day or that week. Wow. And then goes out and is, is not even in contention with nine holes to go on Sunday and goes out and just, like, birdies and eagles, everything on the, on the back nine, comes back, beats Seve Ballesteros, Greg Norman, just comes back and wins his – out of nowhere wins his – those two hours of viewing for a golf fan, the greatest two hours, if you're old enough to remember. Anyway, Was he on the cover of Sports Illustrated after that? Of course. He was yeah. on the – Yes. Okay. He well, might have been on the cover of Sports Illustrated like 40 times, like Muhammad Ali. But I mean, for that event. Oh, of course. Okay. That was, was the single most most celebrated championship in golf history. Maybe, you know, maybe Tiger Woods when he first won the yeah. Masters. But that that's like the single, that's the signature moment in golf history. Jack Nicklaus winning the Masters. Yeah. What was his nickname? The Bear. The I Golden think, Bear. I think that was on the cover of it, if I'm not mistaken. Well, you're actually touching on something that's that now comes to me because I went to I went to school with all of his kids. That's right. I, remember, I grew up yeah. with all of his kids. Yeah, yeah. One of his kids, Gary, who was the closest in age to me, was the best golfer of the bunch, and he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when we were in high school. Gary was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as the heir to the bear. Oh, that's pretty good. That's maybe what you're thinking of in the 1980s. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I'll but, look it up. But, but his, 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 his son, and I, and I actually kind of played golf with Gary. I was on the same golf. T- I was the worst player, and I never played. But 
But Gary was <laughs> Gary Gary was on that golf team. It's big shoes to fill. The heir to the bear. The I mean, heir to the bear. That's... Never quite made it, Gary. Yeah, yeah. Did he he played made it. College. He, he, he played in college. Went to Ohio State like his dad. He um he made it on the he got on the PGA tour. He was actually in oh, a, he, did. he was actually in a one hole playoff with Phil Mickelson for one tournament in Atlanta. And it, it, yes, really. Nobody cares about this. Anyway, episode eighty six. <laughs> subscribe, listen. I don't even know how I got. You could name the 86. podcast that maybe the new no. name. Nobody cares about subscribe, this. Subscribe, listen, and give us a rating if you don't mind. Available on all Apple Podcasts, Android platforms, Spotify, etc. A couple of reminders, if you will, Hotshot Scott. Yes. Please consider joining us as a patron. You go to MitchUnfiltered.com for five bucks a month, five lousy dollars a month. Yep. You'll have access to the other shows each week that we do in addition to these Monday shows. Like, for instance, 86P. I promise I won't start with Jack Nicholas on 86P. <laughs> we'll do way better on the next one. Yes, Don't I worry. Promise. This is already off to a slow start. <laughs> yes. We have another for patrons this Thursday. It'll be 86P. If you'd like to have access to those full shows, those other full shows, instead of just one a week, become a patron. Go to MitchUnfiltered.com and click on the Become a Patron link. Okay, it really that's, helps us that's out. Reminder. Well, that's one reminder. And, and then the other reminder is if I can infringe upon everyone that enjoys our show, even if you're not a patron. I even wrote this to the patrons last week. It really helps us to click play on every one of these Monday shows. We've done now how many? 86. 86 well, Monday shows, yes. give or take. <laughs> so you had a friend who said done. He went and did it, right? Yep. Or she went and did it, yeah, right? Yeah, he went and did it. How yeah. long did it take? For him to do it, do you I think, think? I think he said seven minutes. Seven right? minutes. Yeah. All we need you to do is if you haven't listened to any of the previous 85 shows, just to click play, just go to your podcast app, whatever, wherever it is that you that you listen to the uh, podcast, and just go down the list. Play, 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 play. Yeah, you, don't, you don't even have to have your headphones on. For no. This. You don't you have don't to have hear to, our voices. If you don't want to listen to us, if you just can't stand it, if it's like nails on a chalkboard, right. then don't listen to it. Just click play because clicking play goes a long way. And it takes about seven minutes. And every time somebody clicks play on their device, no matter how long you listen, you can listen for one second. Yep we get credit for the listen. So that would be helpful, all right? Yes, please. Do it. Good interviews on this one. L.A. Dr. Jorge Rodriguez. Okay. I was flipping around the other night on CNN. I was watching Anderson Cooper on CNN. Still going down that dead end road, are you? Yeah. Watching I'm, the news every single Hours and hours and hours and hours. <laughs> all right, go ahead. And uh, this, this doctor from L.A., I, I mean, I... If you watch enough CNN or any of the channels that you watch, you see these doctor after doctor after yeah. expert. I mean, you could see 50 people in a day, and they all, a lot of them say the same thing. This guy just kind of stood out to me, this Jorge Rodriguez. And then I explored him, and he's an L.A. doctor, and he's been on a lot of shows, and he just, he just spoke my language. I mean, he was just very easy to understand. He was talking a lot about whether we should be covering our nose and mouths with scarves and bandanas well, when we go out. That's a great question because my wife just ordered some masks that are cloth online. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, does it does it matter? Is it a wash? L.A. Dr. Jorge okay, Rodriguez is your guy, Hotshot Scott. <laughs> I need to know. Yes. They're coming. You can't listen to him today because today is Sunday. You got to wait until uh, till the, the show drops, but he'll be he'll be interview number one. Interview number two. Now, I know you're going to scoff at this, but you guessed it. What are we going to miss this weekend? What is What would have happened this week in the world of sports that's been canceled like everything else? Sweet 16? It would have been. No, we're oh. way past that. Oh, are we? It would have been the Masters. Oh, right. Yeah. The Masters, the 2020 Masters. Tiger won last year, right? And so I was thinking, 
what is it that we can do to make people smile and laugh that are going to miss the Masters? Well, this guy, Ken Green, have you heard, you've heard him oh, on our show before. Yes. He's anti-establishment. He was anti-kind of Augusta, anti-Masters, even though he's playing it all those years. Yeah. And he was thumbing his nose. He was, he was always getting in trouble with the guys at Augusta National. I thought him coming on to tell some stories, some Augusta stories. Oh, great. And these are stories that it's not, not, not necessarily for golf fans. These are just... I mean, if you think Augusta now, that's got to be a stuffy old club, you'll get a kick out. I mean, he at every turn pissed them off. Well, yeah, from his perspective, it's going to be awesome <laughs> I mean, hearing stories about Augusta. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's not it's not it's not golfy like you would think. It's yeah. more like I tr- he, he tells a story of trying to sneak people in in the trunk of his car. Oh, geez. About like it's an old drive-in. About theater. doing things, <laughs> trying doing things that, he, and he was constantly being called into the principal's office. It's yeah. hysterical. You'll love the interview. I can't wait. That's you'll, great. You'll love great the, idea. Whether you're a golf fan or not, you'll love the interview. And then former Husky Spencer Hawes. Oh, great! We talked about maybe getting him on. I'm glad you did. Twelve or thirteen years in the NBA. Former one and dunner from the University of Washington. Very outspoken when it comes to like Isaiah Stewart, Jaden McDaniels, one and done players. What it does to I don't know if you have seen, I don't know if you have seen the um, the piece that uh, Matt Calkins did in the Seattle Times recently. Matt Calkins, the columnist of the Seattle Times, did a story about how Washington again gets burned by the one and done players. That's a tough one. Get, is it? Are you getting burned? You're getting a great player for a year. That's a tough. Well, one. here are the results. This is almost amazing. Okay, I, I, can't, I can't even believe. You'd have to read the story to actually believe it, even though we all have lived it and we understand it. While Duke wins with one-and-done players national championships and Michigan State wins and North Carolina wins and all these other – Louisville wins and all these teams yeah. win national championships with one-and-done superstar players, here's what Washington has done when they've had one-and-done oh, players. In 2019-2020, they had Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels. Had that finish up for you. Next. Five and 13. Yeah. Okay. In 2016-17, they had the number one player in the draft, one and dunner, Markel Fultz. What was their record that year? I think they missed the tournament. Two and sixteen. Oh, yeah, that that <laughs> did miss the tournament. And by the way, the whole miss the tournament, you can answer that on every one of these. Okay. Okay. Good to know. 2015 and 16, one and dunners, DeJounte Murray and Marquise Chris. Huskies go nine and nine and miss the NCAA tournament. 2011, 2012. Tony Roten, one and done, and Terrence Ross, two and done. They win the Pac-12 regular season, but don't get an invitation to the NCAA tournament. Miss the NCAA. And 2006-2007, Spencer Hawes, freshman, one and done, eight and ten in the conference, seventh place, missed the tournament. When Washington has one and duns, they do not make the NCAA. When they have superstar <laughs> recruits, yeah. they do not make the NCAA tournament while everybody else is winning national championships with one and done. How do you figure that out? So next time Hopkins is looking at this can't miss, he says, we don't want him. Need someone a little worse than you. Do you have a brother, little brother or something? Coach, I'd like to come out to the University of Washington. <laughs> I'm looking at Duke, Michigan State, Louisville. Can I come? No, we don't want you. You go to one of those other schools. <laughs> That's right. You are bad news for us. <laughs> I mean, it, it, we're making a joke, but it is a tough one for coaches. Do you want a kid who's really good for four years or do you want a lottery pick for one year? Every other coach in America would say we want the lottery okay. pick. Give us... 
Get, we know we only get one year out of a, out of them. Let's have we want the the two the true blue chippers. Yeah, you said every other coach. Are you suggesting Hopkins wouldn't want it? Shouldn't it just be every coach would say that? I think Hopkins would still say it. So I guess yeah. every coach would say that. But the, the, it's unbelievable. It really is how it, inept is a strong word. How mediocre to inept yeah. the Huskies have been every time they get. Again, it's rare that they get one of these guys but when they get them they're not able to max they're not even able to get to the tournament right they can't even get to and then they go to the ncaa tournament with other guys with other groups isaiah thomas the Qu- quincy pondexter of the world yeah, yeah. quincy pondexter <laughs> comes and stays for four years uh, thomas comes and stays for three years or whatever it was yeah those teams go to the ncaa tournament donald watts right right yeah, 97 those teams go to the ncaa <laughs> as soon as they get a, a top <laughs> A top so guy is going to be a lottery pick. These are lottery right. picks. Right. Markel Fultz was number one number overall. One, can't, can't win with him. Can't win with him. You think just can't him, do it. him alone could at least get cannot, you to the tournament. Cannot win with Who him. Who was the other guy? DeJounte Murray? Yeah. Why do I not remember that name at all? Oh, he was a local guy. He yeah. went to Washington. He's on the Spurs now. He's great. Is he's, right? he's a marginal all-star. I mean, he's not quite an all-star. Yeah. He's a really good player on the Spurs. For Gosh. Conference. Really good player. He was on the Marquise Chris team. You remember Marquise Chris? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, he comes in. He, he was unbelievable. He went. He went before Dejounte Murray. He went higher than Dejounte Murray. <laughs> Jesus. And they couldn't win a nothing. I was watching an old LSU basketball game from 1990. Yeah. yeah. They had a guy on, on that team that could get them to the tournament. Jack. He was pretty good yeah. in college. Well, they've had some good guys at LSU. Yeah. Anyway, episode 86. Hotshot. Where in the world would we be on Mitch Unfiltered without our partners? Evergreen Golf Call, who's listening to you during the upheaval of the markets in this, the COVID-19 era. Tyler Hayes' team, responsibly growing families' money for decades. The Private Wealth Management Division, offices in Portland and Bellevue, San Francisco to Napa Valley. Evergreen and its clients well-positioned to be able to pounce on some opportunities that are coming down the pike in this economy. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Zeke's Pizza, you made dinner night after night. You're stuck at home like we are here Know that Zeke's Pizza delivers. You can download the Zeke's Pizza app. We just had two pies come to the house the other night. Safe and delicious. Paid in advance. Tipped in advance. Deliver or drop the pizza at our front door. We sprayed the boxes to make sure. Felt like a little delicious normalcy in the middle of all of this craziness. Zeke's Pizza delivers homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler. And you can imagine the stress that the Schwartz family is under with our favorite world-class steakhouse in these unprecedented times. How can you help such a wonderful partner of mine for so many years beyond purchasing gift cards at danielsbroiler.com? Don't forget about Schwartz Brothers baked goods that are on display at your favorite grocery store. Same company, same fantastic products. We love the chocolate croissants from Schwartz Brothers Bakery. The Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage, call 425-250-3150. With turbulence in the financial markets come some opportunities and respects. You'll hear Jordan Flowers here on episode 86. Three top 1% brokers in the Kirkland office alone. Jordan Flowers has an all-star team that's standing by to save you money, interest rates, cheap money, buying opportunities. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Here we go with episode 86, and it starts right now. Unfiltered. Over those 60 days, the virus will run its course, and the only people they'll be exposed to 
are the people within their family. And if they give it to each other, and then that's 80%. That's 80% of the people that have the virus. The other 20% would have to go to get medical attention in the hospitals. And I think on June 1st, 60 days from April 1st, we've gotten ahead of it and we'd see all of those all of those graphs, all the data start to go down. Unfiltered. Every college in America wanted him. And he said no to them all to play for Mike Hopkins at Wa- a Rochester. This isn't a guy from Federal Way. This isn't a guy from L.A. It's not a guy from Denver. It's not a guy from Chicago. He's from Rochester, New York. And he decided to leave his family and go play his college basketball at Washington. Mitch is unfiltered. Dempsey, age 73, may he rest in peace. He passed away over the weekend to the coronavirus. I've always thought it was interesting. People used to say, oh, it's not fair. He has the record and he has a handicap. I mean, of all the people to go after. Because of the metal plate? Oh, yeah. What are we talking about? He has like a club foot. One of his arms, I think, was maybe a little shriveled. (laughs) I don't know. Well, that is a medical term. Is that a medical term? A little I mean, shrivel? he's clearly a handicapped fella. Yeah. And people, that's not fair. That's there was, bullshit. A, there, was always, there was always <laughs> some rumors about that shoe <laughs> yeah. that he was wearing on the right foot. We've, we've all seen, I don't know, no, neither one of us are old enough to remember 1970, by the way. That was Tom Dempsey kicking a 63-yard field goal, which, by the way, at the time, the record in the NFL for longest field goal was 56 yards. He beat it by seven. Wow. You know, two two things that you need to know about this. this okay. is, he passed away, and may he rest in yes. peace. And talk about the foot, but that, that's the first thing. The other thing you got to remember when you watch the video, you'll see it, is the goalposts. They were not ten yards. They were not in the back of the end zone, ten yards behind the goal line. Oh, that's right. Like they yeah. are now. For the longest time, and I don't know yeah. who came up with that idea. They were right at the goal line. People used to run They'd into them, like why into it? <laughs> like what the hell is going why on? Receivers used to go, and then somebody said, "Hey, why don't we move them in the back of the end zone?" Great hey, idea, that's a good Bob. Idea. Why didn't you come up with that before I got? I knocked my head. <laughs> right. But anyway, yeah. they were so they were at the at the goal line in 1970 when Tom Dempsey kicked the field goal from 63 <laughs> yards. So think about that. The ball was spotted at at his own 37-yard line. That's amazing. Can you imagine bringing it the kicker right. at your own 37-yard line and kicking it across? And he beat the I think he beat the old record by seven yards. So this was and this stood for a long this long record time. stood for a long I think somebody came in in Denver's mile high. Jason Elam, maybe. Yeah, I think a couple of guys have yeah. come in and, and beaten it. But if you go back, look at that foot, and there was always the rumor. No one really knew it was in that shoe. Like it was like metal, like an aluminum. It was like an aluminum bat. Right, right. It's like it a swinging a sledgehammer shoe. at it or something. But it, you could see it's like it's like a straight. The shoe is like straight right. across. Yeah, it was like a, he toe punch. He didn't have any toes, but yeah, he wasn't. He didn't. He didn't come in from the side. He just came straight, straight yeah. at it, like, like yeah. Mark Mosley. Mark those, Mosley those was old the last toe punchers. One. He was the last one. I used to kick like that. Well, I in did the too. Yeah, yeah. Kick contest, I used to kick like that. Yeah, toe punching. Yeah. So, well, rest in peace. 
to Tom Dempsey. 73 years old, lost to the coronavirus. He was in a he was in bad shape and he was in an old age home. Oh, was he okay? Yeah, it was it was not good for him. Anyway, episode 86. We start with some highlights from 1970 of Tom. And have you seen that? Have you? When was the last time you saw the highlights? It's been go, a while. Go look at the official when it when he when he puts up the the arms good. Yeah. He like jumps like yeah. Oh, he's like rooting he's like, for. I, I think he had money on the game. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, anyway, episode 86. Episode Mike Tice. Oh, the fill your belly deli. <laughs> He still own a restaurant in Redmond. That's all I remember about Mike Tice. <laughs> Fill your belly, uh, deli. Episode Christian Fourier. Okay. Episode sure. Zach Miller. Here's one oh, for you. Raiders. Yes. Here's and Seahawks. Well, I mean, he came from the Raiders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here's one for you. Episode Jeremy Stevens, who wore 86 for the Seahawks. I think he wore 14 for the Huskies. 14 for the sounds dogs. right. Yeah, yeah. Or episode Scott Greenwood. Are you younger? You're too young to remember Scott Greenwood. Yeah. I wouldn't remember him either. Doesn't sound familiar. He, he was Warren Moon's tight end in the 1978 for the 1978 oh. Huskies that won the Rose Bowl. Uh, who they beat? Michigan. Michigan? I, I think they beat number Michigan. four Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> they beat Michigan. Yeah, they lost to Syracuse that year. By the way, the Huskies did. Oh, is that right? Twenty-two twenty. Yeah, at the old Archibald Stadium. But I, 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 you're I a digress. big, big fan back then, were you? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, eighty-six on that team was the tight end named Scott Greenwood. He would pass away of cancer. There's an award named after him. Whatever. Those are the local yokels for episode eighty-six. I have a Husky, a friend who played for the Huskies named Scott Greenlaw. I thought you were going to say him, and I was like, Did he wear eighty-six? No, he didn't. Is twenty-six? I think the others. Are Hines, Hines Ward. Oh, I'll always hate him. Buck Buchanan was a great defensive tackle for the Chiefs in the 70s, won a Super Bowl as a Hall of Famer. James Lofton wore 86, went to Stanford. Did he really? 86? He was 86. Okay. I thought he was 85 maybe later on. Oh, maybe. Maybe I got it wrong. No, I thought he was 86. He was a good anyway. receiver, though, James Lofton. Yeah. 764 catches, 14,000 yards, <laughs> yeah. 75 touchdowns, and a Hall of Famer. Anyway, those are some of the 86s. How's, how's quarantine life doing for the Sodans? I understand you went and got a basketball hoop. It feels like it's ramping up the ir- irritability level with everyone yeah, a little it's bit. Tough, it's isn't it? ramping up a Did little bit. Did you listen bit. to the woman on 86? Did you get a chance to listen to the woman on 86P? Or I can't. 80- I, 85p i can't shake my family when am i gonna listen to it i, 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 I want a little she gives she's a psychiatrist she gives tips on how to live on top of one another right no i'm, I'm gonna get to it yeah i was thank you i was <laughs> we'll see if that's, anything that's what every listener says i'm gonna get to it okay <laughs> there could be a rerun of the a-team or something yeah. we'll see how it goes yeah i'm trying to put notes together for this show and and my daughter's over on the keyboard just playing with like her keyboard i'm just yeah. like there's like 2,800 square feet. You have to be two feet away from me when I'm doing well, this. Why don't you get up and go into <laughs> your room or something? Because I pay the mortgage. I get to sit wherever <laughs> the hell I want. How about that? Yeah, it's tough. It's I been tough. I know what you're going through. It's tough for everybody. Yeah. And it's not, there's no end in sight, at least for the time being. For the time being, it does feel like maybe we're ramping, I don't know, down. We're ramping across a little bit. We're doing bit. a great job in the state of Washington. That's what I know. Yes. That's what everybody's telling us. Even Anthony Fauci, Tony Fauci, my friend. Oh, you love him now. Star. Oh, he's a rock star. <laughs> Even he stepped to the microphone and stopped what he was saying and said, I just got to say, state of Washington residents, you guys have done a great job. So we've done a great job. The pro- That's the good news. The, yeah. the problem is, until everybody does a great job, I get the feeling we're stuck here in Washington. I mean, if if our neighboring states are not doing a great job and the and the virus is shooting up in other states and people are traveling, what good does it do that right. we've done a great job? We're not we're not getting to the light at the end of the tunnel, I don't think. Do you shake your head when you see that some restaurants are still open for sit down meals? Are you like, what? Not here. Not here, but across the country. Uh, you know what I shake my head at is the <laughs> governor of Georgia. Oh yeah. 
We didn't know. He said that he didn't know that this was transmittable, that there were asymptomatic people that were transmitting the disease. It was like two months after the whole world, everybody in the world knew, except for him, until he closed his state. It was unbelievable. Do you believe him that he didn't know? Either he's the biggest liar on the face of the earth or he's the worst governor in the history yeah. of governors. Dumbass. I, 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 I don't know which one. So you went and got a uh, you went and got a basketball hoop for your basketball player. It took the it's a COVID nineteen <laughs> for you to get for your basketball player who plays AAU basketball or yeah, select basketball. Both. She yeah. runs around playing lots of basketball. It took COVID nineteen for you to drive to Marysville yes. and pick up one on the side. Did they leave it on the side of the road so you didn't have to deal with anybody? You're not allowed to get out of your car, to be honest with you. They Ooh. tell you, don't get out of your car. Get we'll out of your we'll car. have a worker come. Why do we have to go to Marysville? Who's from Marysville, by the way? There's casinos in Marysville, aren't there? Yeah, but they're not open. I saw on the <laughs> way by. It looked a little dark. But yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't need a hoop, really. We pay for uh, elite training. We, yeah. we have a membership at the Y with hoops. Yeah. I have a key to a local school. Yeah, but it's we always nice one. to be able to go outside and shoot hoops. It is, but all the parks and not, are closed. And not, be, and, and not be dependent upon your parents to take you somewhere, true. right? That, that's true. And she needs work on her jump shot. Oh, without question, she needs work, <laughs> especially now. I mean, we're all putting on a little weight. God knows what her shot looks uh, like now. Okay. See, I drove up to get a hoop. I was sort of, my arm was twisted. I made her pay $100 of it, though, of her, you own, did. her own Christmas birthday nice, money. Yeah. Nice. Teaching her the value these of a dollar. These kids have all this money. They have more money than us. They get all these gifts, yeah. cash gifts, and then they don't spend it. No, they just sit on it, don't they? Yeah. They just sit on it. Yeah. And then she had a hard time handing it over. Her hand was shaking <laughs> on the way over to me. And then I had to come over here, and she says, why are you going? What does Mitch want to do it so early? I want to put this thing together. So now I'm, i got to run you out t- of here. You tell her to call Steve Dion and find out why we want to do it yeah, so early. No, poor yeah, guy. He likes to true. go to bed at 7 o'clock at night. That's right. He's like 94 <laughs> years old. He has dinner at 4. Right. Goes to bed at 7. He's up running a marathon. It's, it's 5 o'clock. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I, I, I went to the airport like months and months and months ago he's texting me at like four o'clock or the five i'm like what are you doing up oh i get up he goes to bed early he gets up early so jealous of people who are morning people because i am not not. no not at all i'm not jealous of him either oh you don't wish you could just pop up at 4 30 in the morning and no i did it for about 20 you didn't pop up at 4 30 you were went kicking and screaming at 4 30 i didn't pop up i would love to be able to just pop no i uh, 4 30 sleep all right, what's the what's quarantine life like at the Levy House? Everything's fine. Everything's I, fine. T- today, the day that we're recording this, a little difficult for me, kind of right. heavy-hearted. My dad passed away six years ago on the day that we're recording this, April 5th, 2014. So I remember that. It's always a difficult Tough. day, yeah. to, uh, the day that we lo- lose our parents. And so memories kind of flush with memories and, and that type of thing. Yeah. How are you holding up, though? I mean, it's I know it's, it's fine. It's, it's fine. You're doing you know, okay. I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm. Um, I, you know, I remember the the NCAA stuff. Yeah, and people the, love the. I mean, the yeah. stories with you and your dad. Well, I mean, Twenty five years is a long time to be going to the NCAA tournament. Together. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, I, I'm not sure. Have I? I don't know if I've ever told the story of how it started. I'm sure I have somewhere along the line. But yeah, we started in 1989 when I was a senior. I believe it was the 89 year. I think the final four was here in Seattle. Oh. Ramil Robinson at the line. Correct. That Illinois team that went to the semifinals and I think lost to Michigan in the semifinals at the Kingdom. Kendall Gill. Correct. Kenny Battle. Correct. Perhaps. Correct. Very good. Thank you so much. That was our first trip. The Elite Eight and Sweet 16 right before that Final Four was my dad and I's first trip to the Final. He didn't want to go. Well, I, I was going to ask you, why did it take till your senior year? I, I he thought didn't he want to go. I never had gone. I was a student. Okay. I didn't go. 
and the athletic director liked me. I was working with him on, on women's basketball, getting women's basketball on our radio station. And he just said, here, here's a couple of tickets. Here's four tickets oh, I got to you. the Sweet 16. Would you like to go? It's in Minneapolis. And I was like, how am I getting to Minneapolis? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm a college kid. Am I getting in a car and driving to Minneapolis <laughs> right. in the middle of March? So the only way I knew how to get to Minneapolis was to call dad and say, <laughs> and he was a huge Syracuse fan just through me. Okay. He was ne- he didn't go to I was, Syracuse. Or I was going like to ask that. you that. I'm, yeah. I'm no. shocked you guys didn't go a little earlier. But no, no. So I just said to him, "Hey, Dad." He was getting ready to watch it on TV. I said, "Dad, you're not going to believe this. Jake Crowdhamel just gave me great seats at the Metrodome yeah. to go see the Sweet 16. They're playing Missouri and Doug Smith in the Sweet 16, and if they win, they'll probably play Illinois. Kenny Battle, you know? Do you want to come?" And, and his answer was, "Why the." F- would I want to come to Minneapolis, Minnesota uh, in March yeah. when I could watch the game in my living room? Why would I want to do that? Especially what's, what is, what's wrong with you? And I said, maybe you want to see your son. Yeah, th- we'll start with that one. And it went silent. He went, all right, you guilty me in. I'll meet you there. I'll send you a ticket, whatever. And he met me, and we went to the games in Minneapolis, 1989, and we had such a great time. They lost in the Elite Eight because Illinois came here. We lost. Was, was 89 Derek Coleman? Derek Coleman was on the okay. team. Yes. Number one overall pick, Billy Derek Owens Coleman. was on the team. Oh, Billy yeah. Owens, sure. Yeah, Former Sherman Sonic. Douglas was on the team. It's a good they had team. a really good team. They had a really good team. They should have won that game. Uh, <laughs> but my dad and I had a great time in Minneapolis, and he was going back in the airport in Minneapolis to Florida. I was going back to Syracuse, and he looked at me, gave me a hug, and he said, let's do this again next year. Nice. 25 years later, we did it every year, including – then we started including the Big East Tournament, which was even – in, in a lot of years, more spectacular yeah. than the NCAA tournament. You told me those teams hated each other. It got ugly sometimes. It was sometimes. great because I, had, I have a brother. I still have a brother and his family in New York. And for the Big East tournament, we would all congregate in New York. My mom oh, would fun. come. My dad would come. My brother from Florida would come. My brother in New York oh, would be so there. Great. So it would be a family affair. And then my dad and I would excuse ourselves from all the, all the functions. And we'd just go to the garden every night. <sighs> go to the garden every so single night. We, so we did this for years and years. And I was thinking some people have asked via Twitter when I, I sent out the picture of my dad uh, on, on Sunday, some people have asked, hey, are you going to tell a story or two? And I was thinking because I've, I've, told, I've told just about all of the stories many times on both the radio show yeah. and here. I mean, everybody knows the Rick Patino story and the John Calipari's <laughs> and the possession era when he almost got thrown out of the arena. My yeah. dad almost got thrown out of the arena over the possession era. I love the Calipari elevator thing, though. The Calipari elevator. Don't worry no, about that's, it. That's Patino. Oh, that's Patino. Yeah, Calipari, he went into his room, oh, that's his right. hotel room, and started <laughs> dissecting tape because the door was open. I hear him. And he also said to Calipari out in the, in the hallway while I was taking a shower, I'm going to bang on every one of your players' rooms' doors at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> He's telling Calipari that. What, what, did, what did Patino say to him when they got in the elevator? Don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about it. I love Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Oh, what floor God. do you need? What floor could I push for you? Don't worry about it, man. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Scared to death. I was thinking of a couple. (laughs) I was thinking of a story, and I thought maybe we tell one now, maybe one at the end in the the other stuff segment, of stories that I haven't told, that I haven't told on on the show. Okay. And I've told most of the really funny ones on the show, but there are a couple of stories from my book, if I ever do the book of 25 years of the NCAA tournament, all these different places and Final Fours and whatever. There's a couple of stories that I've never really told because they're not like laugh out loud funny, but they're kind of cute and poignant. One, one in particular, there's two in particular going backwards. So in 2003, 
Syracuse won the national championship. You remember Carmelo Anthony's right. freshman, freshman year, year, Jerry McNamara. They beat Kansas, the block in the corner, the whole thing. In the Superdome, my dad and I were there. We um, looked at each other after all those years of traveling. My dad <laughs> says to me, now what do we do? Like, yeah. this is what we all... This is what we be doing this for. Now that they've won it, do we do we quit? And I'm like, no, we keep going. Yeah. Let's keep going. There were free trips. We gotta go. I gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> so that year they started, they started in Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. Their first two rounds were in Boston, Massachusetts. And our tradition was we meet wherever they are, whether it's Ogden, Utah, which I'll tell you about later, okay. or New Mexico or Austin, Texas, or wherever they go. We meet, we go to the game, and then the day in between, you know, that's a Thursday, Saturday, or Friday, Sunday. That's right. The day in between, we do something that is about the local area. So non-basketball related something Non-basketball, and it's yeah. always my, it was always, I had a lot of heat on me. He would say, okay, what are we doing tomorrow? Yeah. And I had to plan something that was kind of indigenous to the area. Okay. Something that we, had, we had to experience the area. It's a little pressure. A lot of pressure. Yeah. A lot of pressure. I mean, you can so, only go to the Cheers bar so many times, right? I mean, what the well, hell else well, are you going to do? Boston, here's the thing about Boston. Yeah. We go to Boston for the first round of 2003, and we were playing on a Thursday and a Saturday. And so on thir- on Wednesday night, we arrive in the hotel. He comes from Florida. I come from Seattle, 2003, yeah. whatever. We got a good team this year. We're all excited to be there. <laughs> he turns to me and he says, don't worry about the day in between activities. I'm taking care of it this time. Oh, I'm like, really? He said, yeah. I said, what are we doing? He said, you'll find out. So I had no pressure on me for the, for the activities the day in between in 2003. But what's your thought about your dad as, a, as an activity planner? Are you nervous? Like, this not is going to be, okay, not you're not worried about no, it? No, no. What kind of adventure could he plan? Okay, uh, <laughs> gotcha. All right. And, and the next day comes, and he says, we're getting in a car. I don't remember if we rented. Yeah, we rented a car. We rented a car. We're getting in the car. He says, he says, I'm taking you to my old stomping grounds for the day. He went to Harvard Law School in Cambridge, oh, Massachusetts. Right. Okay. Okay. And he, so has he decided, knows the area. That's his hood. He's I mean, decided yeah. the problem is, what you're going to hear is, he went to Harvard Law School in like the 1950s. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Okay. This is 2003. <laughs> A little different. So he just thinks that nothing's changed. <laughs> right. Let's just get in the car. I'll just take you right to right to. Oh. Here, here's the old soda shop. I, wait a minute. Where is it? That's exactly <laughs> the story. You beat me to oh, the fun. Sorry. So we pick up. We pick up. We pick up a, a cousin who lives a distant cousin. Yeah. It's a. This is a. Don't worry about this part of the story. He's 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 nuttier than the two of us. Okay, gotcha. I don't want to say too much, but oh, gotcha. He's, and we pick him up. He says, "I like to hang with you guys. You're in town. I like oh, to hang geez. with you guys." I'm like, "Sorry, Chucky. Uh, his name is Chucky." I said, you know, "My dad is taking us to see to see his old stomping grounds." Oh, oh, that'll be fun. He went to Harvard oh. Law School. That'll be fun. Pick me up, and we'll all go. So we we go we go, and my dad is driving. He can't find where he's looking for, and he's getting agitated. And I said, Dad, what are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for the building that I lived in as a freshman law student at Harvard Law School in, like, whatever it was, 1954, 55, whatever whatever it was. And I said to him, Dad, you realize, for a smart guy, 
That's 46 years ago. That building might not be. He's driving around and he's losing it. I can't find it. Where the where the hell is it? We get to that. We finally get to the campus, and Chucky's like, "What the hell's going on?" He's in the back seat. My dad's like throwing a. T- I can't find it. What the hell? He's oh, driving around geez. blocks. I'm like, Dad, don't worry about it. Don't you tell me not to worry about it. I'm gonna find where I where I lived. I said, Dad, the building could be gone. This isn't about you. And he's starting to feel like it's him. He's like losing his right, losing right. his fastball. Yeah. So I, I was like, Dad, it might be gone. This was 1956 or whatever. Sure, yeah. This is a long time yeah. ago. That building. I said, was it a was it a new building then? He said, No, it's an old building. Oh, said, oh for God's <laughs> sakes, it's probably not here. It's not up to code said, or anything. I, that was a legendary building. I gotta find that building. And he's driving around, oh, and Chucky's sh- like, Chucky's this close to jumping out of the car while it's moving. He's like, Get me out of here. The whole thing is going awry. Yeah, it's going yeah. awry. And finally, <laughs> don't tell me. I'm not gonna tell you how. I don't because I don't know. Yeah. We pull around the corner. He goes, that's it. Come on. That's it. It's like a five-story building. No elevator. Yeah. No elevator in the building. It looks, honest to God, hotshot, it looks like if you went, you would, it would just fall down. <laughs> you probably would have. So now here we are. It's colder than hell. We're like, uh, it's like wintery March, whatever, in Boston, Cambridge, Massachusetts. We're now outside it. We found it finally after hours of driving around. We found it. But now I'm like, Okay. Right. Uh, and, and you know, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I wanted to humor him. I was like, "That's unbelievable. That's where you lived. What floor were you on? It was yeah, on the yeah. top floor in the corner. Sure. Say, that's great. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Can we go have a bite now? And he's like, "No, I want to go in." Oh, jeez. Chucky's like, he wants to go in. <laughs> so, poor Chucky didn't know what he was as getting. As you probably into. gathered from the stories about my dad. My dad did what the hell he wanted to do. There you go. In life, he he never. There was never a day that my father, until his till his 80th, until the day that he died, yeah. didn't do what Robert Lee. What, he did what he wanted to do. <laughs> I like he had that. strong beliefs. That's yeah. what I, he says. Come on, guys. I said, Dad, we shouldn't go in there. He said, Am I going in by myself? You know, he's got a heart condition in 2003. Am I going in by myself or are you coming with me? Right. I said, Okay. Chucky gets out of the car. Okay, let's go. <laughs> so we get into the, we go into this building. We find out there's no elevator. And I say to him, Dad, you're not supposed to climb these steps. You yeah. shouldn't climb. Let's go. We're oh. here. We're going. He, we walk up the five stories. You can, like, the stairs are going to collapse as we go up yeah, the stairs. Yeah. It's that freaking. Uh, and, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. He goes to the apartment. Now he's standing in the hallway of the fifth floor, the (laughs) top floor, and he's looking at a corner apartment. He's just looking at it, and I swear to God, Chucky and I are looking at each other like, holy shit. And and we look at him, and you could just see in his eyes the the film of of his flashback. You could see he was flashing back, just standing in the hallway, looking at the door to the outside of the little unit that he... And I said, okay, Dad... This is great. Yeah. Why don't we Why don't we go down and get a bite now? Why Moving on. I grab him. I put him my arm around <laughs> yeah. him. He said, "Nope, I'm going in." Oh jeez. He now knocks on the door. <laughs> God. He now knocks on the door. Yeah. And the door kind of creeps open, and a little guy couldn't be more than Wink Shapiro's. He looked like Wink Shapiro. <laughs> okay. He opens the door, sticks out. He says, "Can I help you?" My dad. My dad. You know, he was like in. He's probably 6'2", 6'3", yeah, big yeah. guy standing there. This guy was a little guy. He's looking up at my dad. He's like, can I help you? And the two of us are like behind him going, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> right, right. My dad says, do you do you live in this apartment? And he's like, yes. <laughs> As a matter of fact. He said, are you a law student at Harvard? He said, yes. What year are you? He said, first year. 
He said, I'm going to tell you something. In 1956, I lived in this apartment as a first-year law student. The guy opens the door. Come on in, sir. Is that right? Now the three of us are walking into this apartment. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Jesus. In the meantime, the guy looks at Chucky. He goes, oh, hey, how you doing? How you doing? Know, they knew each other. Oh, my God. <laughs> of course. And of course, I, the whole rest of the day, I'm like, Chucky, how did you know them? I, I, he wouldn't tell me. It was like a student of a Mr. So So now we go in. This the apartment hotshot. The apartment is like a hundred square. Like it's like uh, two hundred square feet. It's right. a little studio. There's a bathroom. Oh, whatever. God. My dad steps in and he's just standing there. He's just standing there. Yeah, I had the bed in that corner. Why do you have the bed over there? Oh, no, <laughs> I had the bed in that corner. He's talking to the whole thing. And then and then finally, like two minutes later, he says, "Okay, thank you, sir. The best of luck to you. Best of luck to you. I hope you have as much, you know." Pro- prosperous life that I've had as it re- as it pertains to living in this thing, and we went out. And that was the end of it. That's amazing. That was the end of it. That that's was an the- amazing story. <laughs> now that's not that's not getting thrown out of the arena or John Calipari, yeah, yeah, but but still, that's a great story. That was the in between Boston, and they went on to win the national championship that year. That's the year that they went on to win the national championship. All right, Steve Dion's got his work cut out for him. We got to find the guy who lived in that apartment in 2003 <laughs> as a <laughs> freshman law student. Let's get him on. By the way, Chucky hasn't talked to us since. <laughs> Literally 17 years. Right? No one's heard from Chucky since. He's just gone missing. <laughs> well, some, just went missing. Well, sometimes when you get to know people, so it we ruins went to it. Dinner that, I swear, we went to dinner that night. I'm like, come on, Chucky. You got to tell me. Did you really know that guy? Yeah, it's it's a long story. I don't want to get into it. How Wait, how old was Chucky? Uh, Roughly. Like, is he 20 at that time? Well, is he... I, let's put it this way. 2003, 67. So I was 36. Okay. He was probably... Uh, 46, 50, and, like, 46 or The guy 50. in the apartment's 23 or 22? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> so weird. <laughs> you, I think you busted Chucky somehow. That's why he hasn't talked to you. You exposed oh. him. <laughs> All right, real quickly, before we get to the three interviews, and I think you'll like the three interviews, uh, what are we doing about the TV theme Tournament. Are we doing the TV theme show tournament, the theme song tournament, or not? Okay. We, do we have a name for it? Do we need a name for it? What are you, what, what you going to do? I got a call from the committee earlier, yeah. and uh, the teams have been selected. 64 teams. 64, and some hearts are going to be broken. Oh I'm just God. telling you. Some hearts are going to be broken. Well, there's controversy already. People didn't think that the Masters theme song, did, 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 you, are, you gonna, are you unveiling those? those when, when are we unveiling the brackets? Should we invite the brackets on Twitter, on Facebook? How do we do it? Like this week, give people a chance to fill out their brackets and send them in. What do we do? What, what is your what's your thought on that? I'd like to unveil it maybe on tomorrow. Well, yes. Well, that would be well on Monday. <laughs> are we going to unveil it? Is that what we're going to so do? So it'll already be unveiled when most yes. people listen to this podcast. Okay, it will. Sixty-four have been selected. TV show theme songs. Sixty-four of them have been selected. Many that deserve to be in the field we just didn't have room for them and we're going to run a tournament we're going to run a tournament that begins next week we're going to give everybody one week after episode 87 we'll start the tournament and we'll do a 64 team uh tv show theme song bracket right yes sir People seem into it too. I'm getting a lot of okay. private messages and instant on Twitter. You got to include this one. Was it hard to come up with the 64 teams? From what the committee says, it was very <laughs> tough to come up with. That. I mean, I think I don't want to, but we could do another 60. We could do an NIT. Yeah, yeah. You There's just a lot forget of them. 
how yeah. many there are and there's were. a and lot then of them when you throw sports in and then late night tv you know there's yeah. just oh my gosh 70s 80s even before 60s 70s 80s 90s music well one example i'm not going to say if it's in or out leave it to beaver iconic yeah i mean the 50s and jerry even. mathers as, as the, the beaver. beaver right right i mean star trek stuff that you and i aren't even into really yeah maybe that should be i mean yeah it, the list goes on and on all right so by the time people are listening to this the brackets will probably be out we will we will send them out on twitter and maybe my website i don't know how we're going to do this yeah we're kind of doing this on the on the run by the seat of our pants we'll put together the bracket ourselves we'll allow people to not fill out the bracket but we'll have a little contest where people send me their final four, their final two, and their national champ. I like How about it. that. Yeah, and we're not going to seed And we'll give a prize. Them. No, no seeds. We're not going to seed There's going to yeah. be no seedings in this thing. Yeah, there's unless any- I can, unless I can't fill out a bracket, unless we can't put together a bracket without seedings. I don't know if we can or can't. Whether we can make the seedings disappear, we'll figure that out. Yeah, we'll I figure just, that out. I want, I'm going to try to do it without the seedings. I want people to know that giving your final four, your championship game, and your winner is going to be tougher than you think. Because it'd be easy in the, in the basketball tournament. Well, I'll just take Duke, and you know, you just take the good teams. Right. This, all bets are off. All who, bets are off. Who knows what? Well, people I know like. who's going to win the national. I know who's going to win the championship. Really? I'm gonna, I am going to write it down, and, and I already told my son. I'm going to write the champion in an envelope and seal the envelope and and give it to you and tell you not to open it until after the tournament's over. I already. I in my mind, I know who's going to win the championship. You don't even know who's in. <laughs> yeah, I so, know who's gonna win. I know who's gonna win the championship. If that person, I just that, have a feeling. I go, I know who's really? gonna win the championship. Yeah, I have a very strong feeling, premonition on who's gonna win the championship. All right, sixty-four TV show theme songs. Yep. On a bracket like the NCAA tournament, we're gonna play. The way this is gonna work is after episode eighty-seven, the Monday that eighty-seven is released. Okay, we'll go to Twitter in a poll setting, and we'll play four games a day. So there'll be eight days of first round, four days of second round, two days of Sweet 16 games, one day of Elite Eight day games, then one day of Final Four games, and one day for the National Championship. And we will give away a Mitch Unfiltered prize package. I'll put together a big Mitch Unfiltered prize package, maybe one of these things. Love it. Something that I've already used or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, just sanitize it a little bit before you send that out, if you know. Yeah, I Especially better, this day. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, should yeah. do that. Yeah. But we'll put together a Mitch Unfiltered uh, prize package. Great. For the best, we don't want you to fill out a whole bracket. I don't want to grade these things. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what? It, so as I said to you, I think what we'll do is we will ask you to send me at MitchUnMitchUnfiltered.com on my email just your final four, your final two, and your champion. And we'll somehow come up with a winner based on that. We'll figure it out. We'll figure yeah. it out. We'll fly by the seat of our pants. That's what we're, I mean, right. you, you and I have carved out a life of not really wanting to do anything work-related. <laughs> <Okay>. So, putting... <laughs> I mean, you can't disagree. Doing radio wasn't exactly digging well, ditches. Well, So, yeah, so things like this, you know, take a little time I for people. I take offense to all that. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Four hours a day, that's the life you've carved out. Uh, <laughs> but I was with you. <laughs> okay, all right, so that's what we're going to do. I love three, it. Three interviews and then uh, three interviews, three good interviews. I think you'll... Get a kick out of the Ken Green interview. I think the informational interview of Jorge Rodriguez and then Spencer Hawes with some strong opinions about Washington, right. Isaiah Stewart, and, and Jaden McDaniels. Uh, three interviews and then the other stuff segment with you. I'm ready. At the end. Evergreen Golf Call is well positioned for this downward turn in the markets. The Evergreen 
private wealth management division has been managing families' monies for decades with the goal of comfortable retirements for people all over the world. I've had personal experiences with other firms that really only want to know if I meet their minimum beforehand. Tyler Hayes' team is different in that respect. Their client compatibility survey at evergreengolfcall.com is one of the several ways that Evergreen listens and understands your unique situation before even the first conversation. Everyone's risk tolerance, time horizon, investment preferences, they're all different. Evergreen's wealth consultant gets that information ahead of time so that he or she can tailor make an approach and strategy that's perfect for you and your family's needs. There are even times that Evergreen reaches out to prospective clients to let them know that their investment philosophies just don't align. And that's okay. EvergreenGovCall.com, G-A-V-E-K-A-L.com, a perfect place to start. Just click on its client compatibility survey and answer a few questions. No commitment, just a starting point. Evergreen GovCall, a premier wealth manager during these times in the Northwest and beyond. Unfiltered. Putting a mask on yourself is more to prevent you from infecting someone else. And if everybody does that, we're each protecting each other because the data is it's, it's more efficient to prevent transmitting to others than it is to prevent transmission to yourself. As we enter this period in the pandemic that most seem to agree will be the worst week in hot spots around the country, the debate over whether Americans should cover their faces with scarves or bandanas and the like has been more than ignited. Dr. Jorge Rodriguez is an internist and a gastroenterologist in Los Angeles. He appears regularly on various TV outlets. Doc, thanks for being with us. Oh, man, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. The scary and devastating aspect to this virus for me remains how silent and somewhat invisible it is. What I mean by that is how many people feel perfectly fine and yet are walking around not only positive, but highly contagious. Absolutely right. Um, Let me scare you a little more. We had last week um, two patients who had already tested positive uh, two and a half weeks ago, three weeks. One of them wanted to go Uh, Well, let me correct that. One of them wanted to go see his parents in Arizona who are elderly. His fever had gone away. He was doing better. He fit all the criteria where he should stop social isolation. Came back into the office just to be sure. We redid a test that we were able to get still positive, nasal secretion still positive. All right. Another guy who we never tested because of Two or three weeks ago, the tests were taking a week. Everything looked um, as if he was positive. Uh, his partner uh, had to go into the ICU. Ventilator, the partner's parents wanted to come out and visit here, at least be around, right? Just for safety's sake, we checked him, even though he was feeling better, nasal secretion still positive. So the point is, yes, we don't know how many people are walking around that are asymptomatic. I mean, there are some studies... Uh, out of Iceland, and people because they smaller country, they can test more people. Fifty percent, fifty percent of the people that tested positive had no symptoms whatsoever. Mm. So yeah, so you know it, it's definitely of, of a concern, which is why you know even though maybe two months ago we were saying wearing a mask is not going to protect you, 
if we all wear masks or bandanas or something, at least the people that are asymptomatic that are walking around with it without knowing it, it will decrease their ability to spread it yeah. all right to some degree and, yeah. and that's the greater value of that yeah, yeah for and, sure. and that's where i was going next what we seem to have learned about wearing some form of mask is what you just said that the effectiveness is more in cutting down the chances of transmitting and not so much receiving i heard something a few weeks ago that really resonated with me doc that we should all just kind of fool ourselves into believing that we're all positive for COVID-19 and therefore fully behave in that way not to spread it, we would have much quicker success around the country flattening the curve. I agree with you 1,000%. And then after that, hopefully people will still be you know, responsible as opposed to some sort of lazy fare like, hey, you know, I'm going to get it and, you know, I'm going to survive it. I'm going to get immunity because none of that is guaranteed. None of those two assumptions are guaranteed. But if if having something on your face actually dissuades you from touching your face, shouldn't Another it benefit. shouldn't it theoretically also help receiving the receiving end as well? The flip side to that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are lots of benefits, and I think um, we can't underscore the reminder. I mean, I was just in the supermarket today, like the weekly shopping, and yeah. I had my bandana on, even though I have, you know, I'm privy to, to other stuff, you know, but I just felt that it, it's sort of like a, a show of solidarity. You know, I don't want to walk around with, with a surgical mask um, in a supermarket where everybody else is, is using other things, and, you know, inadvertently, you, you touch your face to rearrange the mask. Right. You know, so, yeah, uh, that that can be dangerous. And yet some people are on TV, that some experts are on TV saying, oh, there's no proof that these homemade covers, the scarves, the bandanas that you just talked about, that they're effective. And I don't I don't get that because it's got something's got to be better than nothing. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Today, the the gentleman who's the Surgeon General, I mean, he he said, yes, absolutely, we should be wearing this. And he even has a video where he makes one out of a T-shirt, you know, and and rubber bands. Uh, Anthony Fauci, an, an old friend of mine, says the same thing. So the learned people are saying, wear this, because you're right. Even if it isn't 100%, damn it, you know, 30% reduction, 40% reduction is better than nothing. So should we wear it to go jog, Doc, or just when we go into areas like pharmacies and grocery stores, places that we have to go that we'd rather not go? The most important thing is social isolation. And what I, I don't want to call it social isolation. I want to call it physical distancing. If you can go jog, right, and you're not going in a crowded place. And listen, if you huff and puff like me when you jog and, you know, your secretions go all over the place, if it's a public place and you're in the street, right, it probably is not a danger. However, if you're going to clean your nose or, you know, brush your nose and then touch a handrail or something, that's not wise. Then wear a covering. Nobody knows 100%. So common sense is is really what needs to be done here. Doc, Doc, why why do you think there was this anti-mask movement weeks ago? Were we being lied to by the aforementioned Surgeon General and government officials in order to either play down the seriousness of COVID-19 or maybe to keep the masks available for our healthcare workers on the front line, do you think? No, I don't think that at all, to be honest, because then I would then I would have to be part of that conspiracy, <laughs> you know, and I'm not, you know, and, and, and the truth is that we just didn't think 
you know, we didn't have the information, which is that's the real crime here. This country was not ready, had not prepared, had actually disallowed, you know, the sections of government that were supposed to be doing this and had been doing this. You know, it's interesting. I had an Asian um, patient who is from China and early on, like four weeks ago, he came in with a mask and with gloves. And he says that, you know, in China, this is actually more of, of a tradition also. When you're sick, you wear something. And he said something that right now is kind of chilling. He said, to be quite honest, I felt safer in China from getting this than I do here. Wow. And and I think because yeah because I think they were being they were being very stringent and some people could say wow that's draconian but you know what yeah I don't think that their numbers are completely right but it seems that you know surge over there has def is definitely on the on the downswing if not plateaued you know as we finish up what I haven't heard a lot of discussion about and maybe there's really nothing more than what you would do for the flu maybe you can speak to some some of our audience who might test positive might be in that you know, that 80% where they're mild or mid-tier uh, symptoms. We know to go to, into isolation. We know that part. How about this just the day-to-day? -day? If you have a fever, Tylenol, what would you say to someone who, who's, who's in his room right now listening to this podcast wondering, hey, what does Doc want me to do to, get to, to let this thing run its course? Great, great question because this is – you know, something that is useful, right? So, and when I do have people that we're following on a daily basis. So you may not already have it, but just for the future, because I think telehealth medicine is going to take a big boom up, try to have certain things at home. If you don't have it now and you can get it, great. One of the things is called an oximeter, which is just something you put on your finger. It'll tell me, the doctor, how much oxygen is going into your blood. All right, that would be helpful. A thermometer would be helpful. So, I can see somebody and I can see if they're breathing, you know, well or not, but I, data's good. So if you're home, all right, and you have this, rest, number one. Don't try to do things around the house. If, if you live alone, I mean, I've had patients that can't walk 10 feet without being winded, being winded, but you need to rest and you need to hydrate. All right, so electrolyte replenishment, things like Gatorade or any other brand, it doesn't matter. Food is essential because your body's going to be burning up calories. Chris Cuomo said he lost 13 pounds in three days. So the easiest things that your body are going to tolerate are the worst things that we here in California hate, which are carbs. But carbs are very easily digested. Carbs are instant energy. Carbs will help you not feel so tired. Other than that, Tylenol is the preferred medication both for body aches and for fever. I don't necessarily believe that taking things like Advil, ibuprofen are going to worsen this, but there is some anecdotal evidence out there that says that maybe people that take those medicines ended up doing worse. Those medicines, like, like I said, ibuprofen and such can also affect your kidneys. So if you already have high blood pressure, kidney damage, you don't want to add insult to injury. So Tylenol is the way to go. You can also take NyQuil. You can take anything like that that might help any congestion. If you are in a room opening up and getting fresh air through the window, not a bad idea, but it's pretty simple. Rest, feed yourself, hydrate yourself, be in contact with your health professionals so that they can follow you, even if just visually or talking to them. The biggest danger, all right, the big red flag is if you start having shortness of breath, 
all right, to the point where you can't even move in your bed or walk, that's when you need to get to an emergency room. As we finish, my concern here in Washington State, Doc, uh, we've been credited for doing a good job with our social distancing by Tony Fauci and everybody else. Even the president stopped what he was saying the other day and said, boy, that everybody in Washington State has done a nice job. But what good does it do if other states are not in many ways? Aren't we only as close to the end of the tunnel as our weakest link? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, a, cert- a certain period of total national isolation. It's almost like ripping the bandage off. You've, we've been ripping it off slowly, right? And it's painful. Probably have we just yanked it off in the beginning. Yes. You know, this might be severely lower by now, but you're absolutely right. Like somebody said, it's like having a peeing section in a swimming pool. As long as we can still connect, drive to different places, we're all at risk. And and that's one of the dangers that we get a false sense of security once the number of cases start going down. This this is the long haul. This is for a long haul here. Mm. Dr. Jorge Rodriguez, you can follow him on Twitter, D-R-J-O-R-G-E-M-D, Dr. Jorge M.D. in Los Angeles. My best to you and your family and everybody in Los Likewise. Angeles in the state Keep of California. Good, thank can, you. Keep up the good work. I hope we can talk sports the next time. We'll talk about Miami football, University of Miami football. How's that? Yeah, they're, they're coming back again <laughs> next year. <laughs> thank All you, right, Doc. Man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Dr. Jorge Rodriguez, who says – If you're going to go out and there might be people around, it doesn't hurt. Cover your nose, cover your mouth with a scarf, a bandana, or anything else that works. It's better than nothing. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline for the very first time is Zeke's Pizza President Dan Black. How does that sound to you, Dan? That must mean I'm important. (laughs) I don't know if you're important, but you are on the Zeke's Pizza. (laughs) Many have been on the Zeke's Pizza hotline before you. Obviously a terrible and uncertain time, and we're all trying to get through this together. What can you tell us about Zeke's Pizza? How are you guys doing? And and give us some ideas. Like you say, I mean, it's um, undoubtedly a tough time for the restaurant industry. I mean, it's harrowing. Zeke's is lucky in that we're going to be more resilient than most simply because we have a pretty significant delivery business. You know, we're focused on mainly our residential delivery simply because everybody's at home. Like I say, our kind of high ground in this is uh, is delivery. And there's three ways, three very easy ways to have Zeke's Pizza at your door, right? Yep. You know, when I order, I use the app. It's the fastest and the easiest. Uh, you know, of course, that's what most people like to do nowadays, too. But you can do it online as well if you want to call. The people in our call center are extremely friendly and they're extremely good at what they do so pretty much anybody in greater seattle area or the east side and parts of Tacoma can call 206-285-TO-GO which is 206-285-8646 and it's a great alternative because you and i were talking about it before we started to record there is no evidence that the virus is transmitted through food in fact if a droplet were to fall on a cooked pizza for that matter research says that the the virus would die so This is a really good alternative. Pizza, home. We've got our kids home. How about kind of social distancing? How how have you guys incorporated that into your delivery methods, Dan? Everything you're saying about food is true. There's Food's very safe. Zeke's is serious about health and safety all the time, even when it's not like this. So a lot of the a lot of stuff that's recommended and that people are doing, we do anyway. But the way we've worked social distancing in specifically to delivery is you can pay for everything, including tip 
whether it's on the phone, online, or the app. And that's that's kind of always been the case. We've we've always done that. But the way we've worked it now too is is you can leave a note no matter how you order, whether it's on the phone, whether it's on the mobile app or online, with a lo- drop off location. And so you basically don't have to interact with the driver at all. That's the kind of modification we've made since this came about, which it's it's just really easy basically to do a completely interaction free transaction as long as you just leave notes as to where you want your stuff left. Dan Black, president of Zeke's Pizza, download the Zeke's Pizza app and use it during these troubled times. We love Zeke's Pizza. It's homegrown in the Northwest, and they're a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Is it true he always wears something green? I mean, uh, has every time he plays, he has green. he's got a green glove and green socks on today, no? Greg? Yeah, he's always wearing, I think he always wears a green glove. It looks so bad with your hand when you take it off. Well, just in case he might win the Masters someday. Would all match. Look at this, look at this. That's a good putt. Oh, he had a dead aim on it. That's a very easy bird. Episode 86 continues, and all of us in the sports world have been going through some sort of withdrawal over the loss of our favorite events. This week will be especially painful for me. It would have been the 2020 Masters, Tiger Woods defending, and I was thinking to myself, who could make us smile while reminiscing about as many trips to Augusta? Immediately, the name Kenny Green came to mind, and here he is, the author of the book, Hunter of Hope, our friend, Ken Green. I hope you and your loved ones are safe and sound, Ken. Hey, Mitch, how's it going? It's going okay. Uh, how many Masters appearances from 86 to 97, uh, something like that? Yeah, I believe I played in uh, seven of them. Okay. The first one was 1986, uh, and this is episode 86. I think something special happened in 1986. But, but- it was actually a wild week. It was uh, obviously my first Masters, so I have a, you know, a bunch of friends down, and, and uh, I, I kind of made headlines. Uh, <laughs> driving my vehicle way too fast uh, <laughs> with Kyle and, and uh, some friends. So we had a little, a little earlier in the week trouble, so to speak. <laughs> and then uh, come, come Thursday, I literally had the greatest putting round in Masters history. And, <laughs> and it probably in any round in any golf. And it was, it's a shame we didn't keep track back then because – you know, I'm hitting it up like an absolute pig. So I'm not really concerned one way or the other what I'm going to shoot because I'm, you know, you it, contrary to what they say, you can't just slap it at, at the Masters. You, you you have to hit it a lot better than people realize. Uh-huh. So I'm hitting it all over the map, and, and I end up making 450 footers for birdie that <laughs> should have been probably bogeys. Yeah. I make four or five 20 footers for birdies and pars yeah. and a bunch of 10 footers. And then on the last hole, I, I knock it off with another putt from about 25 feet for par. And, you know, it was over 300 feet of putts and, you know, being the, my first round ever there, you know, you go to the press room and, you know, I just started becoming somewhat of a name character, so to speak. You know, I, I picked off a, a win uh, the previous year and, you know, people were getting to either love me or hate me mm-hmm. based on what I said, I guess, or how I acted. So I get into the press room and then, uh, 
one of the questions is like, well, Ken, my gosh, you know, the you know, first time winners don't ever win, you know, really fuzzy is pretty much the only one. And, and I'm like, are you going to be nervous? What, you, what kind of chance do you think you have? And I'm like, guys, I got no chance in hell. <laughs> and, and they're all like quiet. It's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm hitting like a pig. I'm, I mean, there's no way I can keep putting like this. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, I don't care who you are. You can't do this. And it, uh, I actually had to hold a bunker shot on 18 to make the cut the next day. Oh my! I mean, God, you really? just can't do that at Augusta. <laughs> yeah. Now wait a second. Wait a second, Ken. Now you were asked in that same press conference that you're talking about. What'd you think of your first ever drive up Magnolia Lane? Isn't that beautiful? And what was your answer to that question? Well, you know, I don't want to quote myself because I, 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 I'm not positive my exact words, but it was something in the reference as well. You know, it's okay, but I've seen a thousand places in Connecticut that are, are far prettier. <laughs> what they say? What the people say? Uh, you know, again, it was the stunned you know answer because, and again, you know, people have always thought that I gave these answers trying to, you know, Elicited. criticize uh, oh, okay. or, or, you know, in that case would be Augusta. Yeah. And all I was doing was just telling what I thought was the truth. And that's how I've always answered questions. And I just didn't, I mean, you know, great. It's a wonderful entrance, but it's not like I'm going to, I'm not going to, you know, write home about it or I'm not going to pray to God, you know, thank you. I mean, it's just, they're just trees. How about the sign that was waiting for you by one of the neighbors across from the house that you had rented that week after the first yeah. week, after the first round? Yeah, that was a good one. That might have been the, one of the best handled uh, trespasses ever. <laughs> I have a tendency to play what we call nip opens, uh, where we pick targets around the yards and try <laughs> to hit them. And, and uh, you know, that sometimes it's the rent a car, sometimes it can be a bulb, it can be a tree, it can be, it can be anything. <laughs> Yeah. And so we're, we had finished the hole down by the mailbox. So we decided to go across the road to the neighbor's house and, and tee off from there back into our uh, rented property. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we did that whack, 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 whack. I think there was probably 10 of us, you know. And then the next day when we, when we pulled in, the neighbor had posted a couple of, of signs out there that said OB on it, which – I thought was just, I mean, think about it, a, a humorous way to, to handle a, a, a polite way of saying, stay the, off my property. <laughs> oh, that is great. Now, your sister was on the bag that first time, right? Yeah, I had, you know, Shelly, I've, I've, I've got a lot of unique things. Considering I've never won the Masters, I've probably accomplished more things than any non-winner ever. <laughs> You know, Shelly was my was the first female caddy ever, which, you know, they weren't thrilled about, but there's not much they could do. You know, so that got a lot of news. And then, of course, you know, being the first round leader, you know, and, and all that. And it, uh, it was just – it's a great way of being stuck with history, you know, because, you know, Jack went on to win his last major. And, and you know, I can at least say that I was a part of, of that and, and I was leading up to the first day. And, you know, when I'm trying to be serious, I always tell people that I just felt I had to back off so Jack could win. This wouldn't be right. 
Yeah. What was it like, Ken? I mean, I remember exactly anybody who's old enough to remember, they know exactly where they were. I know exactly where I was at Syracuse University in a dorm on a TV for the hall, for the entire hall, watching that thing. What what was it like then? Has it become even bigger as the years have gone on than it actually was then? I mean, it was incredible theater. That's the that's the most incredible sports event I've ever seen. The Sunday 1986, the second nine of Augusta. What was it like there? Well, I mean, it, it was it was phenomenal. I mean, obviously, when you're there, and of course, at my age, I'm young and I'm an idiot. You don't understand the ramifications of this, you know, this being Jack's last major, you know, and he hadn't won in a few years. He's 46 years old. And, and, and the way he just, you know, made the birdies, and I think he made an eagle on the backside. Yep. It just kept going. You know, the, the putt he made on 17, was unbelievable and then i the thing i kind of recall the most besides jack being jack was how bad greg norman hit that second shot on 18. 18 yeah i mean it was disgusting yeah i mean how i mean this is this is greg norman we're talking about i mean how can how can a guy be that nervous or or, or what i mean yeah. he he was literally about 35, 40 yards right I, of his target. I know. You know how hard that is for a good player to do? Yeah. He just whiffed that ball all the way up. to the right. Unbelievable. How about Seve? Oh, my God. How about Seve? As he was hearing the roars ahead of him, he didn't he ground? He grounded one into the pond, either at 13 or 15, he, Yeah, he, right? he, he, he just flubby dubbed up. And, <laughs> and it was uh, – that's a little – that's a little – at least that's a little trickier shot because – the one thing they don't know that most people don't know, this is back then. I, I don't know how they're cutting the grass now, but they used to always cut the grass into the grain there. So when you have a five iron, or I think he had a five or a four iron in his hand, uh, it, it, any sort of miss hit and you're dead. I mean, now his wasn't any sort of miss hit. His, his was literally, you know, a hacker's choke and choke. You know, you know, right. you know some people remember uh, Chip Beck, yep. you know, Laying up, uh, fat one in, and and with a, it was one of the hardest wedge shots, strictly because they would keep that grass again. It's downhill, but they cut uphill, and then they would keep it soft. So there's nothing worse than hitting into a into the green soft downhill fairway. I mean, it it, it was tricky. I mean, it's still. And what I mean by that is, if you have any sort of nerves in your body, you're going to pay the price because of of the of the lie. Do guys get more nervous there than anywhere else? U.S. Open, Open Championship. Why, why are the nerves so great there? What is what is it about that place, Ken? I don't know. I mean, I think some guys, you know, I, I'm not one of those guys that ever really affected me much. Not that I can, you know, because I was too aggressive. I never really contended in a major. I was too stupid to realize you can't be that aggressive. But I honestly believe that, you know, even when I was contending for other tournaments, I never thought about anything but just being low. I think some guys get out of that that tunnel to me, it's like you have one goal and that's one tunnel. And it doesn't matter whether it's the, you know, the BC open or the U S open or the masters. If you stay in that tunnel, you'll never choke. But if your mind starts wandering just a fraction, you know, whether it's, Oh, I think I can win, you know, or I think I have to birdie two of the four and I might win. Those are all the wrong things. You just got to keep putting, you know, the, the, the pedal down and your goal is to just be the low at the end. And some guys, some guys just don't don't do it very well, you know. You know, back to Norman, who who I honestly think all around was probably 
tee to green and putting wise, probably the best player that ever played because he he literally could do it all. Yeah, if he had a halfway decent brain, uh. he, he would have been you know up there with <laughs> with you know. I mean, if he had my brain, he would be up there you know with Jack and Arnold. And if he had Jack and Tiger's brain, he'd he'd surpass them. Tell me about tell our audience about having your kids caddy for you at the par three. <laughs> Which is done all the time now. It's a tradition now. Yeah. But when you did it, it yeah. was it was frowned upon. Tell that story. You know, I just thought, you know, it's a the nine hole. The par three is is a classic day. It's awesome, awesome to uh, participate in and play in. And and so I would have I had my two little kids carry. You only need like four clubs, so they'd each carry two clubs. And you know, we did it, and everybody had a blast, and everybody loved the kids and all that. Well, I get done. And there's a letter from Horde Harden in my locker. The chairman. Yeah, he's the chairman. And, you know, he was, you know, he followed Clifford Robertson. He was hard-nosed. And, and yeah. you, know, you know, I got this letter saying, you know, don't do not do that again. We frown upon this, you know, all that. And, you know, again, me being me, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to worry about it. And I, and I did. And, and it's, you know, you, you do that. And then, and then I'll, of course, I do it again the following year. And then, of course, I get another letter. <laughs> But then that year, I got I'm not, I got two letters that year because <laughs> on the 16th hole, I I talked Calc and Azinger into hitting uh, skippers. Yeah, which, on which, the 16th green. Which again, they they do all the time now, right? Now they get booed if they don't do it. <laughs> that's and, right. That's right. And I get I got nothing but letters. And I and the word I I remember the most is frown. Because every every letter had frown on it. You <laughs> frown upon this, and I, I honestly think that I should get like three plaques at Augusta. I should have one on the first tee of the par three, one on the on the sixteenth hole right at the skip spot. Yep. A- and then I should have something for the greatest button round ever. But right. So I've been lucky in that I've I've accomplished a few uh, unique accomplishments that. Uh, that will probably, you know, at least two of them are going to probably stay at that tournament as well, long as it stay. goes. Yeah. What was what was the bet with Calc and Azinger on the skip? What we did was it was a hundred dollars to get on the green, but if you could make it skip twice, that would be two hundred. If you can make it skip three times, it would be three hundred. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a hard shot. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's not as hard to make it skip once and then take off, but then you get then you got to. It's got to come down kind of soft, but of course, being the greedy bastards that we were, we were always trying to do the two the two skipper. <laughs> and who had the best shot that you ever saw there, skipping wise? You know, to be honest with you, I I I, I can't t- even tell you. Okay, I, I don't I don't know if any of us ever knocked it, you know, within five feet or or, or not. I mean, it just because that was never part of the bet, so I, it, it nothing ever stuck in my head. You know, a couple of years later, our you and my mutual friend Mark Kalkovecchia. Had that thing won. He had it won in 1988 until Sandy Lyle decided to to knock one close and make the putt at 18 out of the bunker. Out of the bunker. Otherwise, Cal yeah. could have been the Masters champ. Cal Cat played uh, a, a really good back nine. And then and, and, uh, I think Sandy birdied. And then we birdied 15. And I think that put him up uh, even. Uh, and then he hits it in the bunker. Yeah. Which back then, again, it's a little harder. To, you know, it's, it's harder back then to get the ball to go straight up in the air like it is with today because of the equipment. So it was a, it was a shot out of that bunker that it might be 50, 50 for a pro to knock it on the green. Uh, you know, much less, you know, the last hole of the masters, et cetera. Well, the guy hits a phenomenal shot and 
and hits it. Uh, it might have been like ten feet, maybe or something like that. And he makes it, and he bones uh, he bones Calc out of the yeah, uh, green jacket out of the Masters. And, and actually, a good trivia question would be: Is what player boned two best friends week two weeks in a row? Because because Sandy had boned me the week before at Greensboro. Really he beat me in a playoff. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So he, he needs to say Sandy is not on Calc or I's, uh, you know, Christmas. Yeah. All right, two last ones before you go, Ken, one of which you've kind of already told us, but i got to ask you again. Sneaking people in to Augusta National in the trunk of your car. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's another <laughs> first that I've got. Well, it was, uh, I think it was 89. At Augusta, you can get your family passes, which in my case were eight. And then you have eight that, that you can buy. So I go, I, I had played the week four and I was going to meet my wife. She was going to meet us up there. We end up having some sort of argument back and forth. You know how this thing goes. And she was temperamental. I'll put, put, put it kindly. And I, I couldn't convince her. So two days goes by now, you know, Monday's gone and Tuesday's gone. And I still, she's, she has adamantly saying she's not coming, which I'm like, fine. Don't come to send the passes. Now, she's got three of her family members coming. They can't talk her into sending the passes. So, all right, come Wednesday now. Now I'm getting nervous because some of the people are all arriving today. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go in and I'm going to talk to Hort because to, in my view, <laughs> he's married. Everyone's married. We have these fights in life, you know. Right. And my God, he's going to let me buy eight more because he's going to – you know, he's going to be okay with it. You weren't in the best of standing, though, at that time with those no, guys. No, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you know, that's like a that's like a special club. You know, when okay. you okay. when you have you know you talk to someone about it, you're fighting with your wife and okay. they're acting irrational. All right, okay. So you know, I go in there and I lay it all out. I, I said, listen, I'm going to tell you the truth, and here's the story. I'll never forget the answer. <laughs> no, get better control of your wife. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. So now. Everybody arrives, and I've devised up a plan. I'm going to drive people in, and they'll go back out, drive you back in. Everything will be fine. So we do that without any problem. And I let the eight youngest not have the ticket, figuring they would be the fastest of feet in case somebody noticed they didn't have a badge on. And now I'm playing. Don't even think anything about it. I get back, and I found out that her brother got caught. Now, he's like 21. He doesn't really know golf. And he buckles under the pressure. He, he admits that he's with me, which was the worst thing in the world you could do. And now they know that I've snuck eight people in. So the next day, I, we start to do this thing, and they're checking the badges. Now they now they take the numbers down. I'm like, oh, boy. So now we got no choice but to start. I'm like, all right, I got this. Don't worry about it. So we go back, and we put people on, on the bottom, you know, throw blankets over them couple people back there with the clubs and we I just go back and forth a couple times till I get everybody in and you know we pulled it off they even searched Calc's car really Calc went down Magnolia Lane I went through the other entrance and, <laughs> and they even searched his car that's and so uh that is so know, ironically it was it was my best masters I think I finished 10th oh that's so funny so it was, and then I make another mistake I, don't, I really don't remember which masters this was that I gave a friend of mine my pass after I was done. Oh. And I made him promise me. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Go ask a drunken bum. <laughs> uh, you know, not to do anything stupid, right? Well, 
the, 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 the idiot gets caught in the butler cabin, oh. kicked out. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, now hold on. Before you go, so, hold on, hold on. Before you go, did I get this right? I just read something. Your last competitive Masters, nineteen ninety-seven, which was a pretty big. Your first one was an amazing year. Your yep. last one was an amazing year with the result. But you yep. you were going to miss the cut and withdraw before the second round until you found out who your playing partner was going to be in that second round, right? Yeah. What what had happened was again my friends are in town and they're out shooting hoops at the at the house we rented, and I just happened to be walking out because I won't play for obvious reasons, and the, the ball rolled under the car, so I I reached under to get it and another friend walked out of the house, and when he saw me reaching over he just kind of bumped me from behind it kiddingly you know yeah well literally did he know that he he hit me at the perfect time and my thumb would hit the ball so I broke my thumb oh my god. So I end up shooting 87. Well, the first is, round. Right. Yeah. Right. And and I'm like, wow, this is foolish. Why, you know, I can't play, you know, with a broken, it happened to be my left hand. So, and then when I called to, to tell him I was going to withdraw, before I said anything, they, they said, you're with Arnold Palmer. And I had never oh. played with Arnold because, oh. you know, our, our age gap is, is, wow. is too much. So I'm like, well, hell, I'm going to play. I'll figure this out. Wow. Who cares if I shoot another, you know, 87 or something. Right. And went out and had an absolute blast with him. You know, he's telling stories. He's telling me, answering every question I have. And then on the the 14 poles, I'm getting ready to get to the green. I have one of my friends go get me a beer because I wanted to have a beer with Arnold Palmer. I mean, (laughs) so we hit our our tee shots and we're walking down. I said, Arn, here, I just wanted, you know, I got this beer because I know we'll probably never have a chance to have a beer. And I I Uh just want... You don't know that this has been an honor and a, and a privilege, and I can't I can't say that how nice you've been. Wow! And you know, he said, "Oh, you should have brought me one." And I'm like, "No, I, won't, I wouldn't even do that." I, I do have some limits to my my brain, and uh, it was you know it was a it was a I couldn't ask for a better last round at Augusta, wow. and you know, if, if you have to miss the cup, that's the per, it was the perfect way to end. How many? I don't. I can't imagine he played very many more after '97. Yeah, I mean, he probably only played a couple more. Yeah, what you know, a and great, then went into the a, uh, into the first tee thing. Wow, what a great! Uh, so that, that, what a great that's another uh, wonderful happening that I had there. Yeah. Wow. So I've, I've been fortunate that I've had a lot of uh, bizarre uh, stories from Augusta, considering I never won the damn thing. Must have been unbelievable walking up to each green in 1997 with Arnold Palmer. The reaction uh, it must have been unbelievable. Every was, one, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's he's so loved. I mean, he talking about a man who understood how to interact with people. I mean, he just and he had that special, you know, that that glimmer in his eye. Or, you know, I'm not sure whether it was just his natural way or whether he just figured that out. Or, you know, I mean, it just take for instance Phil Mickelson. Phil, the first I want to say almost seven, eight, nine years of his life on tour was a very not an outgoing kind of guy like he is now. Somebody got to him. If you go back and look for a certain amount of time, it could be five years, it could be 10, I'm not really sure, how Phil interacted and then how he's done it for the last 15 years, somebody got to him and the light bulb went off in his head because he's gone from being this person to that person. And my guess is it was Palmer because who I, I don't know, when you got someone as, as good and egomaniac as Phil is, only another stud is going to get to him. And, and Palmer would have be my guess.
What was the difference between, Ken, playing with Palmer and playing with Nicholas? The crowds, basically. I mean, you could, you could see it. There's just more natural love for, the, for Arnold than there was, than there was for, for Jack. Although I didn't, I didn't get Jack when he was in his, quote, heyday. Right. Where, you know, the 60s and the 70s where the fans didn't really love him yet. You know, it was, he, was, he was the man that was taking Palmer down. Yeah. So, you know, when I, when I started playing with him, which is another great story in the book, my first time I ever played with him was in 1982 practice round at the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. Uh, where Watson uh, bone, bone porks him on 17. It was admiration for his skill kind of crowd versus Palmer was like, they just loved the guy. Yeah, You know, there was natural, it just seemed like they really loved the guy. Mm. Ken, uh, the uh, the name of the book, by the way, uh, is uh, Hunter of Hope. Hunter of Hope. But, uh, you can get it at KenGreenGolf.com. KenGreenGolf.com. Um, and we've gone through your yep. story before on our show. You've been an inspiration to a lot in our audience. You're doing okay? We find you okay? Yep, yep. Everything's good. I'm just hanging out with the dogs and not uh, not doing a whole lot because if I get the, if I were to contract it, I'll, I'll be a goner. So I'm trying to do the best I can. We love you, Ken. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for making a smile without the Masters this week. You got it, buddy. Have a good one. There he is, Ken Green, former PGA player, and I sure hope that his stories of going to Augusta National and the Masters for those seven occasions humored you as much as they humored me. Where would Mitch Unfiltered be without partners like Daniels Broiler? Not very far is the answer, and you don't need me to tell you that we must support local businesses and families like the Schwartz family during these times. It's vital. The same family that owns and operates Daniels, also has Schwartz Brothers Bakery and Brenner Brothers Bakery, known since 1903 for their traditional bagels and rye bread. Founded in 1973 to make pies and other desserts for their restaurants, Schwartz Brothers Bakery now offers a delicious selection of fresh breads, bagels, dinner rolls, hamburger hot dog buns, as well as pastries like cinnamon rolls and coffee cake and Danish and so much more at QFC, Fred Meyer, Safeway, Albertsons, Metropolitan Market, PCC, and other local supermarkets. For a limited time, you can also find Schwartz Brothers Bakery, frosted shortbread cookies, and lemon bars at select Costco warehouses. Schwartz Brothers and Brenner Brothers, proud to continue to provide the community with bread and essential baked goods during these challenging times. It allows them to keep many of their team members employed and look forward to the day when Daniel's Broiler locations can reopen and those valuable team members can come back to work. Daniel's Broiler, Schwartz Brothers Bakery, and Brenner Brothers Bakery, staples of the Northwest community forever. Unfiltered. Our next guest on episode 86 was the 2006 Mr. Basketball. 
in the state of Washington, McDonald's All-American, Parade All-American, one and done at UW, lottery pick in 2007, what, 13 years in the NBA, and I wouldn't typically think to introduce you as the dapper Spencer Hawes, but I saw that date night picture on Twitter, the blue pinstripe suit, the bow tie, the cap, that was pretty dapper, Spencer. Desperate times, Mitch. You know, everybody's kind of kind of looking for things to uh, to switch it up. That was probably the first time I put on pants in a while. So, you know, just little little role play switch up here and there. Never hurt anybody. Where does a seven-footer get a pinstripe suit like that? It looked like, like my comforter, for God's sakes. Oh, those, those are from the days of, of spending too much money on, uh, on custom clothing. Oh. Got a, got a few of them tucked away in the closet, so just glad I can still fit into them. What do you do? What does a guy of your size do to go? You can't just walk into Nordstrom Rack, can you? I mean, how do you how do you go out and buy clothes for yourself? No, those those are custom ones. Uh, I I had an uncle that for my uh, my high school graduation present, he bought me a custom suit, and he said, I, I apologize in advance because you're gonna have a hard time going back. And uh, <laughs> ever since then, it's. <laughs> It's cost a little more to go get the threads, but uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, it's investments well made. So where do you where do you go to get a pair of pants if you want to get a sweatshirt? Where do you? I mean, what's the size that you've got to get for these things? I, I got weird dimensions. Uh, I have long <laughs> arms, but I'm skinny. I've I've gotten a little skinnier since I've stopped playing. So it, it's uh, which is I'm glad I'd rather go that direction. But I'm like a 35, 38 pants and. Yeah, so the, uh, the XLTs on the sweaters, some of them you find in the stores, but a lot of them you just got to go out and get them, how are get you, them custom-made, unfortunately. How are you guys handling the quarantine? How are you handling the times? Are you a social butterfly to begin with? Are you somebody who likes to get out and about, or are you okay inside like I am? No, I hate it. Uh, I, I am the guy that gets up, and if I'm not out of my house by 10 o'clock, whether I have something to do or not, it, it kind of starts driving me crazy, so... It's been a little bit of adjustment, but just glad to be safe at home and, and have a place that, that I can hunker down and, and have enough stuff to do to kind of stay safe and stay busy. The voice of Spencer Hawes. I saw your tweet about Isaiah Stewart. Great kid. Talk to me about what you think of him. I worry a little bit about his type of game and size. I don't know what his real size is, fitting the NBA way of life in 2020. I know they're going against that type of that type of player. It's more of a guards-oriented league. What do you think of Isaiah, and wasn't it a shame that uh, they weren't able to do anything with, with his one year? Yeah, I mean, it's I, I drew a lot of comparisons with this season with, uh, with the year that I had when, when we were freshmen at UW, coming in with you know, the hype uh, recruiting class, a lot of expectations that just, whether it be the youth or, or whatever you want to kind of pin it on, just just doesn't live up to him by any way, shape, or form. But with Isaiah, I think he's the type of kid that if you spend five minutes with him, you realize he's he's cut from a little bit of a different cloth on the court, but more so off the court. I mean, great student, one of the most well-mannered kids I've ever been around. I mean, he just, it, any situation, if you, if you get him in basketball wise, just, you know, business situation, he, he's going to impress everybody there. And I think that's, what's really going to help him going forward. I wish he had the full pre-draft process to really be able to, to shine in that regard. But I think teams that they obviously do their homework on, on any prospect, and especially a guy like him, that's a lottery prospect. And they'll know that they're getting a great player and, and even better kid, better person that, uh, that will do whatever asked of them. And I think when, 
you know, like you mentioned, the, the game has shifted, obviously, but he he's more skilled than I think he had an opportunity to show this year. He shoots the ball a lot better than uh, than his role at UW. And I think when he gets into the right situation, that'll that'll become apparent pretty quickly. And, and whether or not he's able to be an all-star, I think, obviously, he's not a traditional seven-foot center, but he, he's going to have a long, productive career wherever he ends up. How big do you think he really is when they measure him? I, he'll probably measure at 6'8", six, 6'9", six, but he's long and he plays bigger than he is. And, and there's not there's not many 10-year vets that have the body that he does and uh, are as physically developed as he is as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old entering entering into the league. Is he more of an Eastern Conference player? Are there certain teams that still play the throwback game as opposed to somebody, uh, you know, another team that might get up and down the floor a lot and really play to their guards? I don't think that that, for instance, the beginning of my career, maybe the middle of my career, that was still a thing where you had kind of the Eastern Conference players, Western Conference style of play. I think when I got traded to Philly, that was one thing that I was concerned about. And I went and put on a bunch of weight and then realized that that really wasn't the move. But I think as the game has kind of evolved as quickly as it has, those kind of old rules of, of thumb of speed them up, slow pace, half court Eastern Conference and the open Western Conference have kind of started to meld together or, or not even really meld together. They've just kind of gone awry and everyone's gone in favor of pace and space and trying to win with the more efficient style of offense. So I don't, I don't think that's as much the case anymore, but there, there's a value to a guy like that that can score on the block can create mismatches and can rebound. And honestly, I think one thing that's come out of this evolution of the game is the value on guys that just have a motor, especially big guys that have a motor. It's almost become the, you know, if not the most valuable, definitely one of the most valuable skill sets, for a big guy to have, which wasn't always the case because you look at, you look back at history and guys that are seven feet, six, 10, six, 11, seven feet, the game comes easy. You're kind of coddled to a certain extent and playing hard. Isn't always one of the, uh, one of the, the skills that's demanded of the bigger guys. And, and I think now it, it has come to the forefront and that'll only continue to serve him well as his career takes hold, off. Hold on a second. Was Spencer Hawes coddled? You, you, you fit that billing. I, if you're a seven footer that can shoot, you're not you're not always the guy that dives on the floor. I'll, I'll be I'll be the first one to come out and say that was never my my strong suit. But I had the I had the luxury of playing next to a guy in college, uh, high school, college, and then the NBA and John Brockman that he handled that the dirty business for me pretty well. Now Spencer Hawes is with us talking a little bit about Isaiah Stewart. It's just a matter of hours or days at the time that we've recorded this. Uh, Jaden McDaniels had not announced that he's coming out. Everybody expects him to do so. His personality is completely different. While everybody was patting Isaiah Stewart on the on the back and on the shoulder, people were taking shots at Jaden McDaniels. His personality, his attitude has been questioned. It was a difficult one year for the Federal Way prospect. Can he get it together? Could he mature? Could he grow up? What's your sense on him, Spencer? Absolutely. And I think having been around him, he, he's not a bad kid by any stretch, but he doesn't do himself any favors in how he carries himself on the court. And not everybody, you don't have to be a rah-rah guy. You don't have to be the most intense and intense guy to have success. But when things aren't going the way that they're supposed to be going, both individually and, and as the, you know, with the, as the team goes, you have to have, you have to convey a sense of uh, having that passion and, 
caring as much about it as, as the rest of the guys on the team and a lot of times as the fans. And I think that's something that he'll realize as he matures and he continues to grow up as not only a player and as a person, but it's something that he needs to get a hold on quickly because, you know, he has a unique skill set. He has an incredibly unique body, his athleticism, everything else. But, you know, you only have such a finite window of coming in and taking advantage of that. And if, if you don't show progress in those areas, someone else is going to come up two years down the line and that opportunity might pass you by. So I think it's something that he'll get on top of and, and I'm sure he's working on right now, but it, it, it's just unfortunate that, uh, you know, if you have that type of kind of laid back personality and then you aren't having the success that everyone anticipates you to have, it, it kind of compounds quickly and starts snowballing. Do you think NBA teams will run away from him because of that? Do you think that they're, they'll say to themselves, oh, that'll change as he gets older? Will there be NBA teams that say, once you're like that, that's going to be always his reputation, that's going to be always his personality years down the road, and we don't want to deal with that? How, how are NBA executives going to deal with him come June in the NBA draft? Well, every team has a different process, and every team values different things in, in individuals coming into their program. I think uh, is he a guy that the Spurs are going to look at and and put above uh, – you know, five other prospects that maybe don't have that knock on them, probably not. But I think the thing at the end of the day, talent wins and talent trumps. And if you look at this draft, especially, which is a down draft by every, everything I've kind of read and, and seen about it or, or any draft, there's not too many guys that are, that are 6'10 that handle the ball like he does. I, I think he's a better playmaker than he gets credit for. I think that, you know, before Quade went or after Quade went down, I think he's probably the best playmaker on the Huskies roster. And I don't know if that was taken advantage of enough. So I think when it, when the rubber hits the road, they're going to have a hard time passing on a, on a guy that can handle the ball, shoot the ball like he does at his size. But there are teams that are going to shy away from it. And there, there's probably a team or two that may say, Hey, you know, we, we've seen what we need to see. We we're not comfortable there, but the old adage is all it takes is one, whether it's right. getting drafted or getting paid when it comes time to free agency, all you got to do is, uh, all you got to do is convince one general manager, one front office that you're their guy, and and you know that's the crack that you can take advantage of. Hey Spencer, did you see the Matt Calkins Seattle Times column, which chronicled UW seasons when they had guys like you and all these one and done players? It, it, it it's amazing. I did. Yeah, it's amazing. He talked about your team, and he went right through the years that every time we've gotten here. These, these, as Vital would say, diaper dandies that are one and done. Every single time we've been excited to get those types of players, it's never worked out for team success, and then they go off to the NBA. Do you think there's a coincidence about all of that, or is there some legitimacy to, hey, it's just not the makeup of a, of a winning team? But we've seen Kentuckys and Dukes and other, no, I mean, and other there's, programs. There's too many examples, exactly like you just said, there's too many examples of of the other blue blood type programs taking advantage of that formula and having success all the way up to, to winning national championships. I mean, it's, you get back to it's the Jimmy's and Joe's and not the X's and O's. And, and that rings true at every level. And it, it's something that I think that article, when you see it stacked up to all the rest of the, the other programs that have had issues. And I think uh, if I remember correctly, the next closest team we had, like, nine or ten guys that had gone one and done that didn't play in the tournament and the next closest team at three. I mean, that's a glaring piece of data that, that's hard to ignore 
in terms of not living up to potential with the talent that we've had that, that needs to be addressed. So what do you think? What's the answer to the question? Why don't one-and-dones work in Seattle, Washington, when they obviously work in Durham, North Carolina? What's the answer? It's, there's not one thing I think you can point to. Uh, it's, it's surrounding the, the type of talent that we've had. I think that's, that's a big issue. The, how do the complementary pieces work in? Some of the coaching decisions, both with the last regime and I guess uh, in the current one. I mean, there, there's a multitude of things you can point to. And I think if, I mean, I'm not a coach. I don't ever really intend to be on maybe coaching my kids or high school. That's, that's not the road I want to go down. But if it were an easy answer, I think uh, Romar would have figured it out and yeah. Hop, yeah. Hop would have figured it out, yeah. you know, this last season. But, you know, there's a combination of factors at play that need to be addressed because you can't, you can't keep squandering as much talent as we have really going back to to the season that my class were freshmen at UW and, and all the way up until today. Yeah, go back to that freshman year for people who don't remember. I always wonder, Spencer, about the mental aspect of an 18-year-old, and I'm not accusing you, I'm not accusing anybody in particular, this is kind of a, a general statement. An 18-year-old kid who's either thinking about the NBA as a freshman or has already decided in the middle of his freshman year that he's going to do one and done, what what, oh, it, it what, what before what, the decision gets made before that? Okay, so but what kind of fight mentally? What kind of fight when his when that kid's college team faces adversity and all college teams, no matter how great they are, as you know, at some point during the season face a little adver- adversity? I always wonder mentally, what kind of fight does an 18 year old who's already decided he's going to the NBA have when when the obstacles when the speed bumps come? along the way clearly Isaiah Stewart you would say he had he had the fight he knew he was going to the NBA he knew Washington was losing games after games after games in a row he knew the the season was getting away from him yet he had the fight to continue to try to get over those obstacles and others don't what, what, what would you say about the mentality of that 18 year old the typical 18 year old one and dunner well I think it's the same fight that you have in any situation when things aren't going your way whether it's a high school program where the season gets away from you, college, NBA, uh, you know, you're at work and whatever project your team's working on, it's, it's clearly not going the direction. Uh, I think you kind of, you have to almost get selfish about it and just come back and say, all right, what can I control in this situation? And how can I put myself in the best position going forward? If clearly whatever's going on, the team success is, is evading us. And I think that's something that Isaiah did a great job compartmentalizing this year is saying, all right, I'm going to just keep grinding the best of my ability, putting up, grabbing as many rebounds, putting up, getting as many putbacks, being as productive as I can because I can't control everybody else's attitude and if everybody else is jumping off the ship. But if I continue to produce and put myself in the best position going forward, that ultimately benefits not only the individual, but the team. And I think, I think that's the mindset you kind of have to have is, all right, I'm going to double down on what, what I know I can control and try and get as many, as many of the guys around me to feed off of that as possible. And I think it's tough when you're a freshman because you feel like you don't necessarily have that voice to round up more of the guys than you may be able to if you were a little bit older and had a little bit more experience. What is Spencer Haas? What was it, 2006, right? The 2006 uh, Washington season. What, what do you... Seven. Seven, I'm sorry. What, what, 2007. What, 2007, what do you... Re- what when you th- did you ever think back to that year you ever spent? I mean, you got a lot of quiet time now. We all do, and we all think back upon our lives. Certainly, you're speaking to one who does more than anybody else. But when you 
when you think back to that 2007 season, is it a salty? Is it a good feel? Is it a salty feel? Is it a, God, I wish I had done this different or I wish we had done this? What, what do you think about when you when you reminisce about that year? Oh, no, it's definitely a salty feel. Not salty at any any individual or teammates or anything like that. Just more like we talked about with this year's team, the opportunity and the talent that was there and the lack of productivity that kind of came from it and, and the opportunity that, you know, like in my circ- in my circumstance, you know, I only got one crack at it. And to not be able to play in the tournament and not leave more of a legacy in that regard is something that as a lifer Husky, it definitely still eats at me. But, you know, you also can't you can't live your life in the past and, and keep beating yourself up about stuff. And, and you just try and take the, the lessons from it that you can learn and focus on the positives going forward. Did you know the moment you stepped on the floor in 2007, the first game that you were you were going to play one year and then go into the NBA draft? Or was there ever a time during that year when it started to go a little bit bad or a little bit south that you wondered, geez, I'd like to take a maybe, – maybe I should consider taking a second crack at this? No, I, I think I'd pretty much made up my mind that that was a plan. When they made the when they put the rule in before I had I had gotten to campus, uh, we were the first class that had to go. So it was easy, you know, we didn't really. It was nice because there wasn't a decision to kind of second guess. Oh, should I have gone out of high school or right. or right. should I have stepped on campus? But I think the thing that I wish I maybe would have done differently is, and I told the guy, I told Isaiah and and Jaden this when I talked to him this year is just try and be more present and not worry about how every game affects your stock and how everything you do off the court, what, what that's going to mean to, to your NBA prospects, just being more present, enjoying the, the time that you have, because it does, it goes by so fast in the grand scheme of things. And like I said, with my situation, that was always kind of the plan uh, was to get, get to the NBA as quickly as possible. But that doesn't mean that you can't have better perspective going through it than I think I did at the time. And that's something that I would have done differently, but you don't, when you're 18 years old, you don't really have that experience yeah, to draw yeah, from. Yeah. Spencer, before you go, the NBA is a sore subject here in the Northwest, and I'm not sure what it's going to do about resuming playing playoffs. It's too bad because with those L.A. teams and the Greek freak and the other storylines, this was going to be a fascinating playoffs, I think, for those of us that, that, that pay attention to the NBA. What were your thoughts before they concluded? And if they get back up and running again, you have any pearls of wisdom for us on what might happen? I wish I did. Uh, I think I'm just kind of sitting here with the rest of us waiting for the Woj bombs to kind of tell us what, uh, what and when, where, how we're going to proceed with it. But it was kind of the storylines going into what should be the postseason here starting up soon. We're, we're just so, so juicy, so plentiful, but I, I do know that they're going to do everything they can. And, and if the track record of the NBA is any indication, they will be as creative as, as any sports league in the world and trying to mitigate the situation and find something, whereas it probably won't look like anything we recognized before, if it can give us games and an ability to, to consume them as fans and, and have guys participate, they'll, they'll figure out a way to do it. And you know, hopefully everyone does their part individually right now to try and try and slow it down where we can get back to some sense of normalcy and at least have sports to rally around. If we can't get back to our normal or our new normal to uh, give us a little ray of hope and distract us a little bit in these, uh, in these times we're going through. If they rev back up, who will win it, Spencer? Oh man. I think the Clippers are probably the most talented team top to bottom, but it's hard. 
you know, the two best players are in Milwaukee and, and in Los Angeles, and it's hard to bet against those guys. But, it, it, I mean, it's, there's so much up in the air now with you just don't know. I mean, some guy, you know, LeBron's probably got a gym in his house, but <laughs> yeah. do yeah. players, players three through 15 on his team, like, are they, are they even able to go get up shots? I mean, there, you know, a lot of young guys living in apartments. I see Matisse's TikToks. He's stuck in an apartment in Philadelphia. He's not, you know, he, there's, there's way more guys like that are in situations like that than there are that have private gyms and trainers and weight rooms in their house to be able to stay in, in basketball NBA basketball shape. So I think that's, I think that's probably going to determine as much of it as anything coming forward is just who's best prepared to hit the ground running and get through a sprint through the end of the postseason. And hopefully it comes to that. Hopefully we have the opportunity to debate that at some point sooner rather than later. What's Spencer Hawes going to do with the rest of his life? You're, you're a young, young guy, right? What are you? 30, 31, 32, 31, 13 years under your belt, something like that in the NBA. You played for a lot of teams. You made some good money. And now a seven-footer in a, in a dapper blue pinstripe soup with a hat has to figure out what he's going to do with the rest of his life. What are you going to do? Well, my handicap's not going down quick <laughs> enough, so I guess I'll have, to, I'll have to hold off on the pro-am circuit for a while. But, okay. uh, no, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. I mean, this is – even leading up to this, I feel like I had a pretty good preview, you know, being back here the last couple of years, being out of the league, really sitting back and reflecting on what it's going to be. And, you know, I've dipped my toes in a couple different, a couple different arenas and just trying to see – what I'm good at, what I like doing, and yeah, I'd like to keep playing. That's that's my ultimate goal. At some point, uh, obviously, there's there's a little bit of a hiccup in in this season, but I'm gonna give that give that another go, and then uh, oh, and see, you know, see long term what uh what the what the future holds. I haven't really haven't made up my mind yet, but so you're not retired. Uh, you're not find something I'm good at. You're not retired. You're no, not a retired. No, no. Oh, I didn't never know. never retire. You gotta. You'll let them retire you. <laughs> have they retired you so far or not? They may have, but I haven't, <laughs> I haven't gotten the final memo, so I'm going to just keep knocking on the door until someone answers. How about going back to school? Would you ever consider going back to the UW? Yeah, I have. Uh, I've gone back a couple years uh, during and, and taking summer courses, and that's something I, I've done. I, I think I'd, I'd rather go back and do more you know, business specific type classes. I still sure. got a ways to go. Sure. Uh, sure. I didn't knock off too many credits in, in a year <laughs> and a half or so, but uh, no, that, that's something to definitely make my mom happy. So yeah, yeah. It, it's uh that, that'll probably be in the cards at some point soon. Well, it's great to hear your voice and you've always been uh, nice to me back in the radio days. And now here on the podcast, it's really great to hear from you. I hope we can do it again and uh, keep in touch. It's uh, it's great to hear Spencer Hawes's voice. Thanks so very much. Oh, thanks for having me. And uh, we can fire the bigger dance back up, uh, figure out a way to do it on here. I think we'd all we'd all love that right about now. Well, we're gonna do we're gonna do a version. We're gonna do a uh, TV TV show theme song bracket. Sixty four TV show theme song. What's the greatest TV show theme song Spencer Hawes has ever heard? show theme song yeah like it opening has to be specific like, to the tv show no, or just 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 like, just, just like an opening like an opening you could even oh, i love the sopranos oh it's oh you love the, the sopranos, sopranos opening right yeah, got you, yourself again that's a good one that comes to mind how about game of thrones uh, are you a game of thrones guy yeah i mean that's it's so you got you almost have to split them up though if you're going to do the the you know the kind of the specific scores versus the kind of reincarnations of original songs right that's maybe right. you do that that you split the brackets and then let the <laughs> let the champs come to a head at the end we're gonna do that the brackets will be out hey thanks for being with us on mitch unfiltered thank you spencer good talking mitch stay safe
from Seattle Prep to the University of Washington for one year, the 10th overall pick in 2007, and then the Sacramento Kings, Philadelphia 76ers, Cleveland Cavaliers, Los Angeles Clippers, Charlotte Hornets, and Milwaukee Bucks, Spencer Hawes, all seven foot one of them. On the phone with Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. I know it's a strange and scary time, Jordan. You guys are open, right? You're an essential business? Mitch, that is correct. We are an essential business, being in the financial sector, housing sector, and we are all still fully operational, my entire uh, staff and team, whether we're working from home or uh, socially distancing ourselves and locking ourselves in the offices. We're all still working and serving our clients here. Opportunities for our our listeners that want to look at either purchase or refinance? I know it's uh, the last thing on a lot of people's minds right now, but for those that are thinking about it, what can they find at the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage? Opportunities are still great, both for refinancing and buying. The Fed is committed to keeping rates low throughout uh, this pandemic, as well as long after to ensure a full, robust recovery. Definitely opportunities right now on home buying uh, as far as a decent amount of inventory hitting the market and potentially getting good deals there. For anybody that currently does not own and has been thinking about it, we're happy to run uh, rent versus own calculators for you and see kind of what your tax liabilities are and also the financial benefits of owning a home, whether primary or investment property. If we're in the market or we're in the market for a refi, we should look at our numbers on our outstanding loan, our current loan. What should we be looking for? What numbers are available to us through you guys? Absolutely. I'd say anybody right now that's considering refinancing, we're taking care of uh, clients removing their mortgage insurance, We are helping people with cash out refinances to consolidate debt or do home improvements. Really anything in the high threes to low fours and above certainly would would be of interest in taking a look at what refinance numbers look like for them right now. Jordan, what about all the people out there that are having trouble making their payments during this insanity? So with that stimulus package, the CARES Act, they are allowing customers to apply for forbearance if they qualify up to six months and then extend to 12. What they need to know, there's there's information on the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau website, the CFPB website, as well as um, they need to be reaching out to their servicers to figure out what they are eligible for if they need to. If they can make their mortgage payments, they need to keep doing that. Uh, but as a last case, solution for anybody that's hit by these times. Um, There are options for them, but they need to understand what those options are. They're not getting their debt wiped out or forgiven. It's simply moving the payments, and they need to understand that. 425-250-3150. That's 425-250-3150. Jordan Flowers' team, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. To me, this is the biggest disappearing act in the National Football League. He doesn't show up on the road. He doesn't show up against, when the competition's good, when he's against the top corners, that guy disappears. And to me, he reminds me, it's only one time that I can remember in, in, uh, in recent memory 
on elite receivers and disappearing acts like Amari Cooper. That was a kid that the Raiders had uh, a few years ago. Oh, that's right. That was Amari Cooper. This is who he is. And Dan, he doesn't love football. Hell with it. He stops his routes. He does all this. I wouldn't have paid this turd. No way in hell. All right. No way in hell would I have paid this guy. To me, you pay Dak Prescott. Forget all those numbers. That, you know, they're number one in the league because of Dak Prescott, not because of this guy. It's a deep draft at receiver. They made a huge mistake right here. That's Rex Ryan on ESPN talking about Amari Cooper. What do you think of those remarks? I'm just wondering why he's still on TV giving his opinions. Do we care what he has to say? Do we think he's good people, on the air? People like him. He's unfiltered. And I actually, that was 54 seconds long. And I actually didn't have any problem with any of it. Not the delivery, not the opinion, not the choice okay. of words, except for the obvious. Yeah. Why you have to start calling the guy names. Right. When he went to turd, as soon as he went turd, like when you go to turd on me. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you go to turd on me, <laughs> I tune you out. I mean, at that, at that point, yeah. he totally went over the line. He could have done everything that he did. Talk about how he disappears in big games and stops routes. And I would have thought, this is entertaining. This is really unfiltered good stuff from a former coach. But why do you have to why do you have to call him a name like that? Yeah, it really didn't do I mean, he took a lot of crap for it on Twitter. A lot did of he, people were coming to defend him. Did he ever Amari did he Cooper. ever apologize? He has since apologized. He does. On, See, I don't know about that. Yeah, he went on Sports Center and apologized for it. He said, I can't believe I used that word. So he's um yeah, he's trying to backtrack. But he did say he still stands by what he thinks about Amari which is, Cooper. Which is totally fine. Yeah. If if the guy if he if he believes that he you know cuts off his routes and doesn't play big in big games and disappears in road games, I think all that is fair game. I think Amari Cooper's fair game. He just signed what, a hundred million dollar contract. That's right. He's fair game. I think again. You don't have to start calling the guy names. At that point, I think he's gone over the line. I is he a regular honest. on Get Up? Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Because I'm not up. <laughs> I know, I'm not either. I'm not up. If I am, I'm not because watching I'd like that. I'd like to really be able to pop up at 4.30. Oh, I'd be so nice. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, boy, am no, I jealous. I, I want to be in bed at 4.30. I don't want to be popping up at 4.30. <laughs> you want to be in bed at 4.30? Yeah, I, think, I think when you become like 90, you pop up <laughs> yeah. at 4.30. And 2.30. And one thirty, yeah, and eleven thirty. <laughs> that's true. I did hear the older you get, the less sleep you need. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know. Yeah, but the more times you need to use the bathroom. Oh, that's the worst. Wouldn't it be nice to close <laughs> your eyes and then eight hours later you wake up? Oh, what a dream. Are you watching Tiger King yet? I mean, this, this is taking over I'm the world. I'm feeling a lot of pressure because everywhere I turn, somebody <laughs> is writing or talking about Tiger King. I think this, this is, is bad. unbelievable. The phenomenon that Tiger King is is unbelievable. So yes, um, I, no, I have not oh. yet. Because I'm watching all these other shows you gave me, so oh. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with some of these other shows, and I've got years and years worth of some of these shows to watch. But I'm going to stick Tiger King, T Tiger King, in there just because the world is pounding its collective fists that everybody should watch Tiger King. Now I'm worried. This about better be really. I good. know. Now I'm worried about you liking it. There's no way. <laughs> what do you mean? Now you're worried? But last week, two weeks ago, I was going to like it. Last week it was, now nah, I don't think he's going to like it. And now you're worried about me liking it. Well, Am I going to like it or not? If you would have started it maybe two weeks ago when I told you, I think you would have liked it more. But has but it changed? Has the show changed? Well, your opinion and your expectation oh, has changed. Good, See? <laughs> See? If you would have started it two weeks ago, I think you would have had a better chance. Even O.J. Oh. Simpson chiming in. Well, I can't tell you what he said because you haven't started watching it yet. But there's OJ Simpson on a golf course. OJ Simpson, with like a glove on in a video. So yeah. I, I really know it's him this time. Yeah, uh, he's commenting. Everyone's commenting on this. What's, what is OJ's tagline? What does he say? Whatever. No, I'm telling you, man. No, he's got he's got a word, a cup, a phrase that he uses at the very end. I'm just saying. 
Oh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm saying. just saying. Yeah, Is yeah. It, I'm just saying. That's yeah. what he says in this yeah. video. Does he? He does um, it with all, all of them. Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And he's like, normally on a golf course. You see like a like a um, a golf cart behind him. Do you see a golf cart behind him? Always, yeah. I mean, it's like, is he still looking for the, the real killer? Is that, I mean, is that, boy, that real killer must love golf. He must really be onto something. Oh, dear. Anyway, uh, are they really, by the way, before you go to your next item, are they really, is the world really watching NBA players play video games on TV? Is this really happening? Where they're playing NBA, I don't know if it's NBA Jam or NBA 2K or 2K, something. 2K, yeah, yeah. The actual players. And ESPN is broadcasting these things live while they play. And we're supposed to watch Trey Young play some scrub from the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I'm supposed to get a kick out. What, 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 is, what is exciting about that? Explain that to me. Well, I can tell you that a couple of weeks ago, NASCAR started running iRacing. So all these pro NASCAR drivers have a, a rig, that, a sled at their house with a wheel and pedals. Yeah. And they had a race on this game that doesn't look as good as Forza, by the way. But they all, they all, they had a race. They got, like, they got 900,000 viewers to watch this. Because it's Jimmy Johnson, it's Dale Earnhardt Jr., it's all these guys, they, all these racers, they, these drivers they love. So then people are watching NBA players play against each other in video games. I think, well, that's eSports, watching people play video games. So clearly some people do enjoy watching it. It's a little different Will in basketball. Will this stick when everything comes back? Hopefully, no. God willing, everything will come back. Are we going to go back to, to this? Is ESPN overnight going to be showing these types of games or not? I don't think so. I think they'll have enough enough content. It's a little different with NBA 2K because you're watching a couple of guys with controllers play, whereas yeah. in the racing, they have the wheels and they got to take the pits and they'll do the whole thing like they would in real life. But that's where we are these days. I'm still watching marble racing. Are you? Oh, yeah. A new one came out today or on uh, Sunday. It was great. <laughs> Last one of the season, though. I don't know what I'm going to do now. They got to start a whole new season. Does it take a lot to start a whole new season? <laughs> don't but, they just drop marbles down a track? Well, who builds the track? I mean, it takes some time and some we, thought we into this. We all have plenty of time. <laughs> None of us have nothing. We all have nothing but time. My daughter and I tried to build our own marble run uh, a couple days ago, yeah. and I got a nice little blister here from shoveling. For yeah, it's keep a lot that of blister away from me. It's a lot of work. Well, keep it away I've, from it's, me. It's been sanitized just plenty. Keep it, just keep yeah, it. Away I got from you. Me. I got you. <laughs> marble runs not as easy as you might think. Uh, okay. Jimmy Kimmel had a, a guest on his show. He's doing his I've show from his house. Yeah, I've been watching. He had that. Uh, he had a nurse on to talk about kind of what's going on. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he pipes in guest Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, I saw it. And I was I thinking, it. who's yeah. more jealous, Mitch Levy or my wife? I can't Me. <laughs> Me, definitely. Yeah. You imagine Jennifer Me Aniston definitely. just pops on? She was a nurse who had, who had contracted the virus, yeah. and she was in isolation, and all of a sudden they popped on Jennifer Aniston. It was very nice. It was a very nice surprise. Yes, I thought it was very, really cool. very nice surprise. My yeah. wife was very, very jealous. She wants to be best friends with Jennifer Aniston. Me, me too. <laughs> the three of you can go out and have lunch and go shopping. That'd be great. Oh, yeah. No, there's no question about it. Yep. So the New England Patriots owner, Robert Kraft, is doing something pretty cool. I know he's taken a little bit of heat over the past, you know, six, seven, eight months or whatever. Yeah. But he's using his team jet to go pick up more than 1.7 million N95 masks to be delivered it to happened. hospitals. And yeah, he already did it. Yeah. yeah but loaning out his jet is a pretty cool, pretty nice gesture. Yeah, but didn't somebody part. come in and confiscate? Didn't the government come in and confiscate it? Wasn't there a big controversy once they arrived? Something ha didn't Was something there? happen? I thought something happened when the uh, maybe I may be mixing it up with some other transport of of masks and equipment, but I, maybe. I don't know. I just wanted to give him a. Have little you love. been following on Twitter our Zeke's Pizza runs? Oh, those are I meant to tell you. Those are so amazing. Do you so, like those? Such a great idea. So we we started. I don't know whether people know. I don't. I mean, what percentage of the people that are listening to us right now actually are also on Twitter, active on Twitter? We got together. I got together with Zeke's Pizza, and I thought this was a good way of supporting Zeke's and our frontline healthcare workers. So, 
all of a sudden donations have been coming left and right, fast and furious. Oh, it's so great. From people that are on Twitter, from listeners of the podcast, people have been sending me money. I threw a little bit of my own or our money in, and we've been sending pizzas a little break yeah. to different hospitals and different nursing homes and different, even people at their house, nurses that come home and need a break. We've been sending uh, we've been sending pizzas all over the Pacific Northwest, and I've been featuring through pictures on Twitter some of these heroes putting faces. You know, you keep hearing, oh, our healthcare workers, oh, our healthcare workers, they're yeah, just yeah. heroes, whatever. I decided, you know, let's put some faces and names. Right. Let's humanize this. I love a little it. bit. So and, yeah, and I'm the brother. Following. I'm the brother of an ICU nurse. I know so you. It's are. Special to my heart that you're yeah, doing I know, that. I know you are. Very know sweet you are. of you. But she's on. She's on vacation, right? Well, she, she has a little a, break. She has a, a cabin that's off the grid in the the, yeah. area, the Phoenix area. Yeah. So after, not a lot of healthcare workers taking vacation right now. She's she's got a great gig. <laughs> hey guys, I, uh, I'm gonna check. I'm gonna, I gotta go to the cabin that's off the grid right now. Yeah, she works uh, 7P to 7A. That's her shift. Oh. And six of those in a row will get you out of Dodge oh. for a couple nights at oh, the my cabin. Best to her. She's doing okay? She is. She's been exposed a lot, so she's sort of just come to grips with the fact that she's probably going to get it. But she's hanging in oh, there. She says God. it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's not good right now. Yeah. It's a little rough in there. So, yeah, But she's hanging in there. Where is she? She's in the Phoenix area. Oh, she's in the Phoenix area. She's yeah. not even, she's not local. No, she's not. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. And she thinks they're going to get hit maybe a little bit later than everyone else. So we were supposed to go down there in a week. Our family, we're going to pass. Going to be playing hoops in the in the driveway, it looks like. And watching marble races. <laughs> and watching, trying to make Tiger one. King. That's yes. right. All right, quick. All right. Well, I want to do this story first. Kyle Walker from Manchester United, if you saw this story or not. No. Well, he's in a little trouble. Uh-oh. Did he bleach? Did he uh, did he suntan? Is this the number two, or the number one in the shower? <laughs> Are we going there? Mm, oh, no, we're not. I mean, okay. necessarily. Okay. But this is not my words. This is the headline: is that um, he ho- was he's in trouble for hosting a sex party at his house during this Uh-oh. this outbreak. Uh-oh. But by the way, this comes the day this is a soccer player where in England, Manchester United. Oh, yeah, God, in England. they're they're getting hit hard. Yep. Right. Um, by the way, this comes a day after he recorded a PSA urging people to <laughs> adhere to the stay-at-home guidelines, right? I mean, God damn it. So he, he could face fines and discipline from this club, and uh, he's already come out and apologized and had a statement and the whole thing. Are we but, laughing up at the, about this, or are we outraged by this? Uh, or a little combination of both? I mean, the fact that he did how many the people? PSA. How many people what? At the party. <laughs> and where was my invitation by the way jerk i thought we were friends how many people were we talking about i don't know it just says a, a but party, they didn't adhere so. to the three feet rule it doesn't look like they were social distancing <laughs> they're the opposite of that i saw singer christopher cross can, uh has coronavirus you're kidding i don't know if you saw that Same. i'm sure you like him oh me and the Take fish and where i'm going yeah me and the fish i i once uh, asked him for tickets to christopher cross you're kidding well, I was like 29 or 30. He was with Megan, my wife. Yeah. And so he, he got me tickets, but he says, Hotshot, you realize this is not the little rap duo Criss Cross, right? This is actually Christopher Cross. I'm oh. like, yes, I'm in. I love him. Arthur, he does what he pleases. <laughs> yeah. Of course, people on Twitter say he- All of his life. Christopher Cross caught it somewhere between the moon and New York City. Awesome. People can't resist, of course, on Twitter. <laughs> so <laughs> I hope Christopher Cross gets better. I'm a big yeah, fan. Of course. We hope everybody gets better. Episode 86. You want episode uh, Heinz Ward? I can't do Heinz Ward. Didn't he have a play in the... Was he in the Super of course, Bowl? Yeah, of I can't do Heinz Ward. Uh, Christian Fourier, Buck Buchanan. How about Jack, 1986? The Golden Bear, episode Golden Bear. How about that? One for the ages. One for the ages. You looked it up. That's right. One I did. for the ages was the Sports Illustrated Sports cover Illustrated, after yep. he won his sixth 
green jacket and number 18 overall. I remember seeing that cover as a kid and then going, eh, I'll watch, I'm gonna read something else. All right. <laughs> We, right. we should give it to him. That is pretty cool. Episode what? Bear? Episode Golden Bear? Episode Jack? Episode Golden Bear sounds Episode good. Golden Bear? Yeah. All right. Episode Golden Bear is in the books.